My wife's father is one of 12 brothers and sisters. My father's one of 12 brothers and sisters. And so um, people would ask us uh, many times, said, um, are y'all Catholic? <laughs> so no, no, you Mormon? No, 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 we're backslidden Baptist. And uh, so why would you have so many kids? I said, well, because mining family. So my family grew up in the copper mines of East Tennessee, and my wife's family grew up in the coal mines of West Virginia. And so you didn't have children because you liked them. You had children to put them to work. So, uh, so it worked out really good. So anyhow, when you grow up in a big family, you think that's normal, you know, and uh, just, just you have a lot of kids, you know. Uh, we had no McDonald's, no Hardee's. There was no Walmart in our town. It was a mining community, nice place, about 750 people. We had one of everything. Uh, but mostly for entertainment, you did family. You know, you had several family reunions a year. You know, you get together. If you want to have fun, go visit a family member. You want to fight, go visit a family member. You, <laughs> you want to borrow something, go visit a family member. You know, so it was just normal to us. And so when Denise and I got married, I just got back out of the service, and um, we thought, well, this is what we do. So I remember we were talking about two weeks into our marriage, and um, she said, Joe, let's talk about our future. Now, um, we we were we grew up in church. My wife and I grew up in the same church, uh, Hickson First Baptist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, went there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every training union, all the vacation Bible schools. We were very much apart. Now I carried a Bible, I just never read it. You know, so I don't know what's in it. It's just a holy book. You keep it like a magic wand, like your Tinkerbell, and you can wave it at the devil. Maybe it'll scare him. We had no concept about reading the Word of God, and so. So we're sort of uh, semi-Christian, I guess. So we're talking two weeks into our marriage. She said, well, Joe, we're just eating breakfast in our little old garage apartment, and, and uh, I'm working swing shift, and she's working for the telephone company. And uh, she said, let's talk about our future, two weeks into our marriage. I said, okay, let's talk. She said, well, she said, uh, uh, you, you, you need to make more money. That was the first thing she said. I said, what? She said, you need to make more money. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I said, I did. I made more money. I was running a backhoe for a construction company and uh, when I got out of the Army. And I want to marry her, but she won't marry me until I get a real job. I said, I have a real job. No, a real job that pays benefits, that has insurance. I'm not going to marry you and get pregnant. And we don't have, you know, insurance to cover it. So I quit my construction job, and I got a job as a janitor, believe it or not, with uh, Olin Matheson on the Tennessee River. I wasn't even janitor. I was two weeks, I was pulling nails out of blocks, and they promoted me to janitor two weeks after they hired me. And said, you're going to be janitor up in the milk cash department. I said, great. I said, do I have benefits? Oh, yeah, full benefits. Health insurance? Oh, yeah. So I called my wife. Uh, I got home that evening. I said, hey, I got a real job. Pays benefits, have health insurance. So let's get married. She said, fine. And so I said, you call a justice of the peace. We're getting married tomorrow. There had never been a church wedding in our family. We're a real poor mining family. We don't pay for church weddings. You just go get somebody to say, I do. And so I was a good southern husband, so I delegated. You find us a justice of the peace tomorrow. And she did. So 10 o'clock the next morning, we went to a real estate agent in Red Bank, Tennessee, and he opened up at 10 a.m. on Veterans Day, November the 11th. I paid him $10, and he said a few words. I said, I do. My wife said, I do. And uh, while we were going through that, her mother showed up and my mother showed up. Now, we didn't invite them. And uh, now we love, our, we love our families, but this, was, this is not a social event. This is a legal thing. And so they showed up, and they're all dressed up in their Sunday dresses. And I, my mom had been crying. And, and so I'm signing the paper at the guy's desk in this real estate office. And I look back. I go over to my mom, who's a very stout, red-headed Irish woman. 
And so I said, uh, I said, what are you doing here? And she grabbed me by my collar, and she just jerked me into her face. And she said, is she pregnant? I said, no, she's not pregnant. Why would you say that? Then why don't you wait and get a church wedding? I said, because I want to get married now. I'm tired of waiting. I'm not going to waste money on a church wedding. When I get married, I'll see you on Sunday, you know. And so uh, it didn't really go that well. And so I remember we went back to uh, my wife's house to get her clothes. And um, uh, her parents were there, and her dad had taken off from work. Her brothers had taken off from work, and they're there, and they're not happy. Now, we've been engaged for a year and a half. It wasn't like this was a surprise. I mean, we didn't have a date set, but it's just like, boom, we got married today. And so they were all angry. And so well, I thought, well, this isn't good. We need to leave. And so we're going out the door. My mother says, where are you going to go? I said, we're going to go on a honeymoon. She said, where? I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. This is sort of happened. We just did this last night, you know. And I said, I have uh, three days off. I got a full tank of gas, and I got $84. So we'll drive about 150 miles. We'll drive out a half tank of gas, and we'll spend our $84, and we'll be back. And, uh, and that's what we did. So we got in the car, and my wife said, how far can we go on a half tank of gas? I said, about 150 miles. So she got a map and drew a circle. She said, hey, we can go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I said, let's go. So we drove to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We stopped at Kentucky Fried Chicken for our honeymoon meal, and I love Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was really good. And then we went, and we stayed in the Skyland Motel. It's still there. If you ever go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, beautiful resort town, the first hotel going into town up on the cliff is the Skyland Motel. So we went up, and I got in, and I said, I'm get a room. And uh, back then, I mean, if I can get a room for like 20 bucks. And he said, would you like the honeymoon suite? I said, well, sure, we're married. How much is that? That's an extra $2 a night. No problem. Let's get that. So we got the honeymoon suite. Now, the next morning when we got up, and we were going to leave and kind of go do a tour in town, I noticed in the rooms, because they're cleaning some of the rooms, and they look the same as my room. I thought, that guy's taking me for an extra $2. I He's charged me $2 for a honeymoon suite, and my room's no different than these other rooms. So I stopped by the front office. I said, hey, I was charged an extra $2 for a honeymoon suite, and I don't see that my room's any different than these other rooms. Oh, yeah, it is different. said, the honeymoon suite has the vibrating bed. I said, the what? The vibrating? And, and it did. Now, you've got to be old to remember these. But used to, used to in hotels, they had vibrating bags. It was like a parking meter bolted to the wall, hot-wired right to the bed. And so you'd put a quarter in, and the bed would. And so, well, it's my honeymoon, so I put six quarters in, and I just loaded it up. Well, the problem was it never would shut off. It ran all night. It's like we couldn't sleep. And so we ended up sleeping on the couch. And uh, anyhow, we finally, you know, we spent our money, went back home. And so, uh, you know, uh, we lived with her parents for about three days. And I got a place to rent. We got a garage apartment, and we're there. And we don't have hardly any furniture. But we don't care. We're newlyweds. All we want to do is suck the lips off each other's face. That's all we want to do. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with me. Uh, Everybody's got a different story, but pretty much walks the same path. Uh, We're sitting there two weeks into our marriage, and he says, let's talk about a future. She said, you need a better job. And I said, I had one. I took a worse one to marry you. She said, no, you need a better job that pays benefits. I said, I know that. She said, as long as you understand that. I said, well, I know that. Now, she's never talked to me in any kind of harsh way in a year and a half of dating. But we don't do anything important either. We don't talk about anything important. Where would you like to go? What would you like on your pizza? What movie would you like to see? We're not talking anything deep. You know, we went to the same church. We went to the same elementary, junior, and high school. Our fathers worked at the same company. Our families lived three miles apart. We're almost kissing cousins. I mean, it's like there was nothing else that deep to talk about. 
So she, after that, she said, well, she said, would you like to have some children? I said, sure, I'd like to have some kids. She said, well, how many do you want? I said, well, that's not up to me. You're the one that's going to have them. How many do you want? She said, well, I'd like to have five. I said, well, good, five. And coming from a family of 12, that's a small number. Sure, five, that's a great number. She said, well, when would you like to have them? I said, well, again, that's up to you. You're the one that's going to have them. When do you want to have them? She said, well, I want to wait five years. I want to wait until we got our own house and a decent car to drive and more money, and I'd like to wait five years. So sure enough, January 1st, 1977, five years later, we had our first child. Now, it wasn't because we were smart. There's nothing intelligent about any of this. And so then we began to talk about uh, some other things. She said, now, Joe, I just want you to know, if anything ever happens to my father, my mother will come live with us. I will not put my mother in a home. Now, I love her mother. I must have loved my own mom. I'm eating pancakes. We're just eating pancakes on a Saturday morning, two weeks into our marriage. Fine, whatever, you know. My mother come live with us. Fine, I love you, mother. No problem. Well, I'm eating, but I'm not thinking. She's going on some other things, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. I said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. What, what happens if something happens to your father this week? I mean, where's your mother going to, where's she going to stay if she comes to live with us? We're in a two-bedroom garage apartment. One bedroom's just full of junk, and uh, we only got one bed. I said, where was your mo- where's your mother going to sleep if she comes to stay with us? And Denise is eating her pancakes. She said, well, she'll sleep in our bedroom in our bed. I said, well, where are we going to sleep? She said, we're going to sleep on a pull-out sofa. I said, we don't own a pull-out sofa. She said, you'll have to buy one. I said, how long am I going to sleep on a pull-out sofa? And we're just eating pancakes. She said, until you build a room onto the house. I said, honey, we don't own a house. We rent. She looked up. She said, you'll have to buy one. And I want you to know, in about an hour and a half, that conversation went deeper than it had gone in a year and a half of dating. I thought, nobody told me this when I said I do. I tell people marriage is the most expensive thing in the universe. It's going to cost you everything. I tell men all the time in our men's retreats, you ever tell a woman I love you before you ever say that again? You get out your billfold, get out your checkbook, your credit cards, your 401K, get your rod and reel, your bass boat, your hunting dog, your pickup truck, get everything you own and pile it on a table. <laughs> then look over the top of it as you say, hey, honey, I love you. <laughs> because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. Uh, for God so loved the world, he gave. If you're not giving, you're not loving. Love's not what you feel. Love's what you do. We say, I love you. That doesn't mean anything. I love chocolate cake and ice cream and pecan pie. Love's what you do for somebody. For God so loved, he gave. It's what you do, not what you feel. And I love the feeling that goes with love, but it's what you're doing. So I realized, coming from a big family, we didn't have a clue what marriage was. I know you know the numbers. Uh, I'm an old engineer, so I love I love stats. Uh, we are the most Christian nation on the face of the planet uh, percentage-wise. Some nations have more believers but not percentage-wise than we do. We have more churches, more Christians than anybody else. But we currently have a 50% divorce rate, according to the U.S. Census. Second marriages, 67% divorce rate. Third marriages, 73% divorce rate. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. There's not a TV program or a movie that honors marriage. They don't do it. Uh, every male on every sitcom that's ever been made is an idiot. He's sorry. He's stupid. He's no good. He's not worth, you know, shooting, basically. Same thing. Women are lying and cheating and whatever. You wonder, you are what we what you feed on. And so what happens is we've sort of left the foundation. Nobody told us what marriage was. I didn't know. I didn't marry my wife because God. I didn't see God. I saw flesh. Look real good. Smell real good. 
kissed real good, cooked real good. Thank you, Jesus. I got everything I need. What else do I want? And man, I, and, and I'm a piece of, why don't you get married? Well, dear Lord, look at it. What do you think? Look at that. We have mercy. And so the problem is, three years into our marriage, uh, we, we hated each other's guts. I, I said things I can't repeat. I mean, I told I hope you roast in hell seven ways from Sunday, and I'm cleaning that up a lot. Uh, I didn't know that I could hate anybody as bad as I hated my wife. Uh, she hated me. We thought we made a mistake. We got married too early, too late. I never should have married you. Other people should have married you. You're not them. Because we had no concept what a marriage was. We thought we are going to live happily ever after. You know, when I grew up, you did basic things. You got out of high school. You went to the Army. You got a job. You got married. You wait till you die. That's pretty much what you do. That, that's, it's, life's not really that complicated. So all of a sudden, I realized, you know, Denise and I could agree on nothing. I mean, we never fought dating. We never had a fight dating. But all of a sudden, we get married. We're trying to make decisions. She never agreed with me, ever. I don't agree with her. That's just stupid. I thought, you're doing this on purpose. You're disagreeing with me on purpose, just trying to make me look stupid. And so, like I said, three years in our marriage, we were ready for a divorce. We would not get one because there was no divorce in our family. We had family members that made moonshine, uh, steal your car, shoot you, burn your house down. But no divorce. That's a sin. No divorce. <laughs> and so uh, so we weren't going to be the first ones, so we would go to church, go on Sunday morning, Shondai Hikimo, raise your hands, praise the Lord. Go home, and she'd sleep in bed, I'd sleep on the couch. And we hated one another. We had no idea that marriage isn't something you find. Marriage is something that you build. Jesus didn't find a church. He built one out of thumb-sucking, hell-bound sinners. He said, I will build my church, Matthew 16. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A wise woman builds her house. You don't find it, you build it. Well, it takes tools to build it. Nobody told me that. I didn't think about building a marriage. I found a beautiful woman. seemed to be really nice. I want to live the rest of my life with you. I assume you're going to stay just like this. You're never going to change the way you look, cook, smell, or talk. Well, everything started changing. It's like, you never going to put some makeup on. You better cook me something. I'll tell you right now, this is not going good. And so I realized I didn't have a clue. I mean, the longer I was married, the dumber I felt. It was a spirit-filled Methodist. A chemical engineer invited us to a Bible study. I didn't go because I loved Jesus. I went because he was my boss and I need a raise. So I went and bought me a brand-new Schofield Bible because I'm a good backslidden Baptist. And uh, I go to the Bible study. I learn all the lingo. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I could speak it like everybody else. And all of a sudden, he'd teach something. we go on Friday night, and his wife would cook dinner, and all of us working as a lab technician at the time, and all of us were invited with our spouses. We'd all show up, you know, all 12 of us. So we're sitting there, and he'd read something out of a Bible. Every night after dinner, go down the stairs in his lobby, and we'd, he'd, read a, he'd read a Bible story. And I thought, hmm. Entering, read a Bible story. And then he had read stuff, and there was time after about three or four weeks, I started asking questions. Like I said, what, what page is that on? He said, well, what kind of Bible do you have? I have an American Bible. No, what translation is it? It's in English. No. And I, <laughs> I never got so embarrassed. I didn't know there were different translations. So, well, what kind, I mean, what kind should I have? And all of a sudden I realized... You mean your pages aren't the same as my pages? I thought all Bibles were the same. And so all of a sudden it was a learning curve when I began to realize I knew after about eight weeks why my marriage wasn't going good. I had no clue what a marriage was. Uh, outside of salvation, marriage is the greatest thing God ever made. Well, I was just, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. 
obtains favor from God. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, well, then I found somebody else's thing because this ain't a good thing. <laughs> so I got, I got somebody else's thing. Somebody else got mine because I got something from hell. This is not mine. This, this is busted. I need to take this back and exchange it for something else. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to realize I had no clue who I was or what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to do. So this has sort of been a long process, so God's got a great sense of humor. I worked in the electrical industry for 12 years, and I was working as an engineer when God called us into ministry. And I knew when we went into ministry, we would teach on the family. Uh, family's the biggest thing going on. The devil knows that. First thing God made, the garden, we got a family. got Adam and Eve. There they are. Lucifer's already been fired from his job, been cast down. He's walking around, walks into the garden, gums flap Adam and Eve to death, talks them into sinning. When sin came into the first family, Adam and Eve got fired from their job, evicted from their house, and their children started killing each other. That is not something that began in the 1960s. That happened in the beginning of time. The devil hates God, can't get at God. God fired him. You know, they asked Jesus, you ever seen Lucifer? Yes. What did he look like? A lightning bolt coming out of heaven? What happened? He got fired from his job. He got a stupid thought one day. He went and met with all the angels at the Angelic Union Hall. And basically, here's what he said. Boys, I can take this old man. <laughs> and the Bible says that one-third of the stupid angels said, we think you can too. And one-third of the stupid angels stood up and rebelled with Lucifer and tried to remove God from his throne. Well, God kicked him out of heaven and said he was like a lightning bolt. <laughs> Boom, literally got fired from his job. Thus, that's where we get the term fired. Lucifer was the first one to get fired from his job. And so all of a sudden he's down there and now he's mad, but he can't get at God. So it's like when you get mad at your boyfriend or your girlfriend when you're in school, junior high, high school, and you can't get at them, so you take their picture and you put it on a dartboard. I might not get at them, but I can throw darts at their picture. Well, the Bible says we are being thrown fiery darts from the wicked one. Why? The devil's mad at God, can't get at God. He's going after God's image. That's you and I. You don't have to sin or do anything. He hates our guts. He hated us before we came out of our mother's womb. He hates all humans. That's why hospitals are full, orphanages are full, and prisons are full. Lucifer hates everybody. He's killing, stealing, and destroying John 10.10. 10. It is an all-out war going on. So what happens is if you get married and you don't know who you are in Christ, in him, in whom, what you're doing here, you're going to blame your spouse for everything that doesn't go right. Thus, a 50% divorce rate. You don't know. You didn't find it. you got to build it. And if you don't use the tools, it's not going to go well. So I'm going to read two lists of things to you. Real good. Matter of fact, I'm just going to just go to give you some things out of Genesis. Kind of just lay this foundation. And I'll show you, I'll show you how things got so messed up to begin with. Um, now I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I have not left the King James. I have to say this and I go to Texas because we do about 80 seminars a year and Texans don't read anything except King James. I still study it. I just don't speak it. I don't speak King James. I speak modern English. So I've not left the King James, but I'm going to read the New Living Translation. Uh, I'm just going to jump in at verse 23 of Genesis 2. Well, I'm going to back up to verse 18. We'll just start with this. Genesis 2, verse 18. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Everybody say, not good. God hasn't changed his mind. Not good for man to be alone. God made humans to get together, male and female. It was his idea. There are some people gifted to not get married. They have no business getting married. They're like the Apostle Paul. They get married, they'll mess their life up and somebody else's life up. They are anointed to be single, and that's just a fine. I had a great aunt. She was like my grandmother. Uh, my Aunt Luna, she was a great woman and lived to be 95. And, uh, man, she took care of everybody. And uh, 
taught school, taught Sunday school. She was just incredible, did mission stuff. She was dating when she was 91. The retired guy lost his wife, would come date her once a week. They'd go places. And, but she never got married. She said, I'm not supposed to get married. I'm happy and I'm fully fulfilled not being married. But she is the exception, not the norm. Like kind draws like kind. Most everybody is going to eventually get married. Some early, some late, but eventually most everybody hooks up with somebody somewhere. So what I'm trying to do is explain God says, not good for men to be alone. Now he's looking at Adam, watch what he says this. <clears throat> he says, not good for men to be alone. He said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. <laughs> so God's looking at this. If you go back to the beginning, God's in creation, everything was good. Good, 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 good. And all of a sudden, the first time in the Bible, God said, not good, not good. He was looking at a man. Not good. I'm not making it up. It's in here. And so he says, not good. And when he says, not good, he said, what is this? Not good. Adam said, what's not good? You. Not good with you. What's the problem? Here, lay down here, take a nap. I'm going to fix this for you. Adam wakes up missing a rib, and in front of him is, whoo, kumbaya, God. And there's the evening. They spent the rest of the day getting to know each other and sucked the lips off each other's face, and it was an incredible time. Now, what happened was when they sinned, everything changed because God designed all men, whether you're single or married, to do three things. We'll cover this more in here in a little bit. All men are lovers, leaders, and providers. I'll give you this scripture here in a little bit. I love, I lead, and provide. It's what a man does. A woman has a different job description. Number one, she's a helper. Well, she can't help somebody that's not doing anything. That's a deep thought. She's a manager of the home. Women are managers, much more detailed than men. You know, they just are. Women use both sides of the brain. Men only use one. That's just a medical fact. Um, women are also lovers. Older women teach the young women how to love their husbands, love their children. So we basically have different job descriptions. So God made Adam, put him in the garden. He said, you need help. To do what? And here's I'm going to do this as methodically as I can. Most important thing for every human, and we teach uh, college students, we do things in universities. You need a vision. If you don't know who you are and where you're going, the last thing you need to do is get married. You don't know who you are because you'll try to make your spouse God. Your spouse isn't God. They're not your happiness guru. Now, I only deal with Christians. Been doing this for 30 years. Only Christian couples can. What is it? We're going to get a divorce. Why? Well, it's not happy. You're not what? Well, it's not happy. Really? And that's why you're getting a divorce? Or did you marry Bozo the Clown? Are they your happiness guru? Did, was that, I don't remember that being in any wedding vows. Now shalt make me happy the rest of the life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Mary Hart does good like a medicine. Make your own self happy. The spouse's job not to make you happy. And so if you're not making, you blame them, you go, you're going to have something that doesn't exist, has no power to make you happy. So it's just odd how some people think. So you go back, Adam and Eve were there. When they sinned, God had a job. Adam, I'm going to give you a job. I want you to take dominion, subdue, rule over, all this. Got you a job. Here's a man with a vision. He has a job to rule and reign over the earth. He saw him and said, no, I'm going to give you somebody to help you rule and reign. So Adam, number one, had a vision. He got a spouse to help him fulfill the vision. Got that? When the spouse came along, the devil came in, began to gum flap these. And I don't think this vision's real. I don't think it's true. You sure God meant this? You sure God said that? Because the devil has one weapon. He's a liar and a murderer. That's why only the truth can set you free. Well, they sinned. You know the story. Got to go sow the fig leaves. And so I'll jump in here. I'll give you what God said after they've sinned. Um, I'm going to jump into uh, Genesis chapter 3. He's handing out the curses. God comes walking through the garden. 
Adam, Adam, where are you? Now he knows where he is. He's trying to get him to respond. Adam, where are you? He said, I'm here, Lord. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? He said, he said, did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat? In essence, did you do something I told you not to do? And so here it starts. Adam, did you, what do you, what's with the fig leaves? Well, I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree? And here's how it starts. Adam said, well, it was the woman you gave me. You know, God, me and you, we were fine. Paradise. It was perfect. And ever since you brought that woman into my life, my life's been going downhill. Her fault. I'm not making it up. I'm paraphrasing. It's in there. God comes down to Eve and says, what's your story? She's thinking, snake. Told you they didn't like snake. Snake's fault. Not my fault. Snake's fault. So the thing, the problem with all sin is nobody takes responsibility for their own life. It's always somebody else's fault. What's the problem? It's president's fault. Congress' fault. Senate's fault. Mayor's fault. In-laws' fault. Husband's fault. Kids' fault. Boss's fault. Not my fault. I'm fine. Now, I only deal with Christians. It's the same sad story I hear every time. But if it wasn't for them, I'd be fine. No, we found the problem. Now, I'm looking at it right now. You got to do, you got to start with you. Start with yourself. So, they're handing it all off. So, guys, it's fine. See in here. I told you what was going to happen. So, here he comes. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, he's talking to Lucifer. He said, you're going to crawl on your belly. I'm going to jump into verse 15 of Genesis 3. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you he will strike his heel. Talking about Jesus, very prophetic. Then here's coming. Here's the curses. Now that you sin, I told you, sin's got death attached to it. I didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself. To the woman, he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Now this is the list of curses, so which means I assume before the fall, having a baby was not painful at all. That's my assumption. You read all the translations like, Okay, now that you're sin, you're going to have pain. So I assume before the fall, having a baby is kind of like spitting out a watermelon seed. <laughs> and after the fall, it's like spitting out a watermelon. <laughs> now, my wife's had six children. I've been there every time, and that is a major event. Thank God I'm a male. Just thinking loud. loud. He says, you're going to have pain in childbirth. And number two, you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. Now that you've sinned, the thing I made is a gift, husband and wife, marriage relationship, there's a curse on it now. You're going to desire to rule over your husband, and one translation says, but he's going to ruthlessly rule over you. Male chauvinism, women's liberation, were not born in the 1960s. They were born in the Garden of Eden when sin nature entered us. That's why everybody thinks they want to get married, but they don't know what it is, and that's why half of them don't make it. And the other half are miserable. What happened? You don't understand how this works, do you? This is a gift from God, but it's been perverted back in the garden. Now, when Jesus came to earth and was raised from the dead, we've been redeemed from that curse. But if you don't know that, you're still living under it. God said, my people, not the unbeliever, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Do you understand what marriage is? The second greatest thing outside of salvation is marriage. There's nothing better God ever did outside of salvation than give you a spouse. You don't hear anybody say that. God said it. Why? Because everything God made hums with power. You understand? I love uh, uh, my wife and I. We got married. We grew up in East Tennessee. A lot of a lot of rivers, whitewater rafting. So it's a cheap sport when you got six kids. So we're all trained whitewater raft, and and we love to go scuba diving. Just things with water. I love water. Water's got power in it. Water's created by God, but it hums with its power. It'll either quench your thirst or it will drown you dead. It's got power. 
I like fire. I got a big fire pit in the yard out in Oklahoma. I got a fireplace in my house. I love a fire. Fire can have a romantic evening, you know, grill a hot dog, you know, have marshmallow roast, or it can burn you to death. Fire's got power in it. It'll bless you, it'll curse you. Marriage, closest thing to heaven on earth, closest thing to hell on earth. Based on one thing alone, what you do with it. So whatever, it's money, sex, marriage, fire, water, everything God made homes with this power. You handle it right, it'll bless you. You mishandle it, kill you dead. Ark of the Covenant, presence of God, blessing of God, provision of God. Woo, there it is, the ark with the angels on top. God said, where this is is me. I'll bless you and I'll protect you and I'll provide for you. But if you touch that box, I will kill you dead. Don't touch the box. Everything God made, huh? And the problem is we don't want to read about it. So we came with an instruction manual. You ever notice people don't ever want to read the instruction manual? Here, I'll just fix it. No, you got to read the book. Came with a book. You know how it's supposed to work? And so most people get married for the same reason. We're in love. No, you're not. That's a hormone. It's going to last 18 months. It's just going to shut off the middle of the night. And you're going to wake up next to she-devil the next morning. I'll promise you. It's a medical fact. It's not real love. Love's expensive. What you're feeling is a hormone. That's not love. Trust me, it's coming. Because love's going to cost you. If love's not costing you something, if love's not costing you something, it's not love. Love's expensive. It's a great reward, but it's very expensive. So all of a sudden, here's Eve. What's your deal? Well, you know, pain and childbirth. You're going to try to control your husband. Then he comes down to Adam says, you know, because of you, since you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree, the fruit I committed you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. What happened? <laughs> Economic woes. You can read about in the paper today. Stock market, economy, unemployment. We're in debt up to our eyeballs. Where'd that come from? Garden of Eden. The earth got cursed. God pronounced it. You're not going to reverse it. That is unless you're born again. If you're born again, I'm not under the curse of the law anymore. I've been redeemed. I might still be on an alien planet, but I'm not messed with by this planet. I live in a different world. I'm still here. I'm in this world. I'm not of this world. He goes and it says this, and it'll grow thorns. What is the ground you're going to get a living from? It's going to grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains. Oh, you're going to earn a living, but with bad bosses and crazy employees working next to you in the economy, rolling back, laying off. You didn't get the raise or cutting your pay. You know, they're not going to provide you with insurance anymore. What's happening? Thorns and thistles. Because what's going on? The Garden of Eden. It was cursed. And if you don't get to the bottom line, you'll spend the rest of your life blaming a human. I say it all the time. I voted. I've been involved in politics. I was county chairman, precinct chairman. Uh, I made the nominating speech for the governor of Oklahoma. I've been real involved in politics because I realized picketing doesn't do a thing. You vote. It's a, it's a republic. We call it a democracy. It's a republic. If I have more votes than you, I win. It's not whether I'm right or righteous. If I have more votes than you do, I win. And we've still not figured that out. Less than half of America votes every presidential election. You get what you vote for. And here's the thing I've always realized, I don't care who gets elected president, because every time, every time I'd vote, man, whether my guy won or whether they lost, you realize, man, we can't, we're going to vote him out. We're going to vote him out. We're going to vote him out, and we're going to find us another guy who's going to do good and going to help us and protect us and prosper us. You wait till the next election. We're going to find a piece of flesh that's going to save us. No, you won't. That's why as believers, my job is to pray for the authority, whether I voted for him or not. God told Daniel to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. And when he first started, who? 
I need you to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. You mean the man that killed my family, killed my pet goat, made me a slave? Mm -hmm, that's the one. Well, I got some prayers. I'll pray a she-bear rip his eyeballs out, spit them down his throat. I'll pray a thousand fleas flop his nose, legs, his brain. He scratched himself to death. I got some prayers. No, no, it's Jeremiah 29. You're reading. God told him, no, I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. You've got to be kidding me. No, no. It was like he's going to get saved, become an evangelist. No, he's going to turn to a goat and eat grass for seven years. He's going to go really wacky, but not yet. Till then, I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. And Dad said, why? Well, because if he has a peaceful day, you're going to have a peaceful day. Amen. If he doesn't have a peaceful day, you're probably coming home early. Because we're the salt, we're the light, we preserve a nation. There's nothing, there, there's nothing in America going wrong that we can blame any politician for at all, not according to this. If my country's not going well, it's not the politician's fault, it's the church's fault. We lost our salt. Go to any nation where this isn't preached, you're going to walk into hell. Listen, we've traveled, we've traveled all over. You go to any country where this is not preached, and you will walk into hell. You better sleep with one eye open at night and carry a weapon with you. Because where this rules, there's peace. Not perfect. This. We're believers. What is it? We're going to pray for our country. Why? So we can live a quiet, peaceful life. No, God is an honesty. First Timothy, the first thing I want you to do is pray for all those in authority. Why? That you might live a quiet and peaceful life. If you're not living a quiet, peaceful life, it's probably because you're not praying for the authority. It's not who you voted for. It's whether you're praying for them or not. Ooh, it's always so good. So all of a sudden, the reason I'm doing this is because same thing with marriage. Marriage works by certain law. Like, what is it? This is a blessing. You've got to be kidding me. No. Your spouse is a gift from God. <laughs> well, I must have been at the back of the line. I'll tell you that right now. No, no. No, because you marry your opposite. Now watch this. Look at this. Nobody told us we got married. Adam, you're going to have thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat, and you'll return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from the dust, and thus you're going to go back. Now here's the thing. I'll give you this right here. I realized when Denise and I first started going to Bible studies and learning the Word of God, I realized, oh, my goodness, nobody told me. What is it? Number one, I realized the earth's under a curse. The whole thing's messed up. Well, let's just get out of here. No, no, we're the salt, we're the light. We're to be, we're to be a blessing. We're to, you, you know the list. Jesus gave it three different times. What do you do? Well, we help people. Our job's to fix hell, not gripe about hell, not thumb suck about hell. We're here to fix hell. We're going to storm hell. Jesus said we're going to storm the gates of hell. Now, in the morning, I'm going to kind of do a final thing, but I'll give you this. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. Now, Sermon on the Mount, you read through it. There's just a great list, but I'm going to focus on this one thing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, you understand the 60s ruined that word peace forever. We think a peacemaker is somebody that wears flowers on their hair and flip-flops and tie-dye shirt and whirls in the grass. Jesus is the prince of peace. When he comes back, you want to be behind him, not in front of him. Well, this is going to be ugly in front of him. Okay? Peacemaker, if you read it up in, in, in the Greek, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. What it says is blessed are the problem solvers. Who's a peacemaker? They're a problem solver. Jesus solved problems from the time he got up and he went to sleep. What do you do? Well, I'm going to feed hungry people, give water to thirsty people, give hands back to people who don't have any hands, going to raid somebody's dead kid. I'm going to fix hell today. Everywhere I go, I'm going to fix hell. I'm a hell-fixing machine. We're going to give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, help those that are sick, visit people in prison, help the orphans, help the... What do you do? We fix hell. We fix hell. We are anointed to fix hell. But if you don't know that, you're thumb-sucking about You know what happened to me? You know what they said about me? You know what I've been through? No, I'm not ready. Don't care. You've not read your book. 
You're on an alien planet. Tests and trials come to everybody. The devil's a thief, a murder, and a liar. Do you not understand that? Your job is to resist him. Walk in God's grace. Go be a blessing. Leave something better than you find it. But because we don't know, we want to blame everybody else for our life not going good. If it wasn't for them, I'd be fine. No, that's not true. I'm responsible for me. You can't mess with me. I belong to God. Angels of God can't round about me everywhere I go. God talks to me when I go to sleep and I get up. He's going to surround me with the shield of divine favor. Psalms 5. People are going to like me not even know why they like me. I'm the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Didn't say hell would make a run at me. Just said I would always overcome, be more than a conqueror. So all of a sudden here I get married and I thought, well, I married some she-devil and I married some else's spouse and if I can just get rid of her, I'll be fine. I got an aunt that's got seven husbands. Seven. I married one of them. I married, married them. And she said, you know, Joe, you know, I got divorced. I'm going to get married again. We come do the wedding? No, ma'am. I love you. I'll come. I'll eat cake, throw rice at you, but I'm not going to do the wedding. She said, why? Because you have no business getting married again. Why? You keep marrying, you keep marrying you. Because she said, well, I just keep finding bad men. I just keep marrying wrong people. And I think I found the right one. No, you didn't. You keep finding you. Like kind draws like kind. Ahab found Jezebel. Ruth found Boaz. You're going to find you. You keep finding you. Like kind draws like kind. Don't get married. Go home and work on you because you're going to marry you. And nobody can seem to understand because they won't read the book. Why not keep marrying that? Because you keep marrying yourself. Don't get married. You just need to go work on you for a while. Of course, she wouldn't bless her heart. So the last Uncle Willie, he's a fun guy, but he ran a beer joint and made good money. He made good money running a beer joint in a grocery store. But he stayed drunk all the time. You know, so you, if he, when he's sober, he's really great. So he's just slobbery and drunk. But he could make money. So my Aunt T died real healthy. She did. She, she had had plastic surgery so many times. Her daughter standing next to the casket looked like her grandmother. Like, What's, who's that in the casket? That's my auntie. What is it? Well, she said so much plastic surgery. She'll never rot. She'll be preserved forever. She's tight. There's not a wrinkle on her face. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to be truthful. I did a funeral for uncle one time down in the middle of Odessa. He died early. We're up there, and I'm the family preacher, so I do all the weddings and the funerals, and I'm free. So it doesn't matter with you, Baptist Church of Christ, Church of God, Assembly of God, Charismatic, I do it for free. So I'm doing the funeral, we're doing it up the front, and we're following by the casket, and we're going out to do the graveside service, and I got to fly to Nashville. So I'm there, people come by and thank me, we just did this service. And following by the casket, we're close to the lid and bury me in a minute. So another uncle came up, Joe, sure appreciate you coming down here doing this. And no problem. He said, he, here's what he said, because people are so eager. Well, because he died early, he's 53. Well, I guess God needed him in heaven. And I just squeezed his hand real tight, and I said, nah, God didn't need him in heaven. He wasn't any good to anybody down here. <laughs> he didn't talk to me at the graveside service. He got mad at me. Because we don't know the book, we blame everything and everybody else. Except but the real problem is if we don't know the problem, we won't try to fix it. You got that? So here we go back. Marriage got cursed in the garden. Jesus came to the earth, raised from the dead, and now we're born again. I'm a new creature in Christ. What do you know? Well, I know three things. Let's do this. Number one, I'm a lover. Ephesians 5, 25 through 20. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Love is what God did for us. We didn't deserve it. We were going to hell on purpose. God didn't love us because we're nice. Most people think church is full of nice people. No, it's not. Full of people that were going to hell that got saved. Still falling down. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day. They get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. Every day we get to repent and forgive. We're still in a growing mode. That's why I love church. 
says, what do you do? Well, I'm to love my wife like Jesus loved me. How did Jesus love me? He loved me when I was not lovable. When I didn't care about him, I, I don't love my wife because she loves me. Because I'm telling you, in our marriage those first three years, you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You mean to me, I'll be mean to you. You get mad at me, I get, come on, let's just get it on. And all of a sudden I get a revelation. That's not what marriage is. What's my job? My job is to love her. I don't care what she says or what she does. And love's not what I feel. <laughs> love's what I do. Baby, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Let's see if I can do something. Now, most men, we try to avoid that. Dear God, don't ask your wife what she wants. She's going to tell you enough as it is. The last thing you want to do is ask. But I figured if the only way you know how to whip Goliath is to face him. So I just, <laughs> it's just run after it. And so you can laugh. I'm very serious. It was just lots of me. I'm going I'm to bury my wife with the request. Hey, what can I do for you? Can I help you do that? Let me do that for you. I'm going to do that right there. It's like, Joe, shut up and get away. And I finally just kind of drove her whack. said, just do this. Okay, got it. And so I realized if I love her, it's because I'm going to serve her. And so I want my wife gets to heaven after her thanking Jesus for saving her. I want to be the second thing that comes out of her mouth. After Jesus, Father, I want to also thank you for my husband, Joe, because he was the greatest thing that ever happened to me outside of getting saved. Did a funeral for a lady one time in Tulsa, my first funeral, coming out of Bible school. And I knew her husband had been sick. They'd been married for 34 years. He had not been doing well. And, and uh, I was working one of my three minimum wage jobs trying to get through Bible school. And this lady was real nice. She'd bring food every now and then. She'd bake us something, give us a turkey for Thanksgiving. So she called, Joe, my husband's died. Will you do the funeral? Oh, I'm so sorry, Billy. Yes, I'll come do that. Well, uh, it's going to be the next day. I'm out of Bible school, and I've had the funeral course. So I get my Bible, I get dressed up, we go to her house to visit with her night before the funeral. Bill, I'm so sorry to hear about Ron. I said, uh, if you like, Ron, and he just tell me something about him, you know, so I can share it tomorrow. And so I've got my notepad, and we've consoled and we prayed. Tell me something about Ron. She said, well, uh, uh, he went to hell, and I want you to tell everybody tomorrow that he went to hell. Now, she's not crying. She's not emotional at all. I'm just, I'm stopped. I thought, is this a joke? Well, she said, I said, what? He said, he went to hell. I want you to tell his relatives tomorrow. He died. He went to hell. He's burning in hell right now. I want you to tell him that. Bit, bit, I can't tell anybody that. I don't know that he went to hell. I do. He died cursing God. I was married to him for 34 years. The meanest man I've ever been around in my life. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I can't tell anybody he went to hell. You better tell him because that's where he went. He died cursing God. Never did serve God. Made fun of God his whole life. Well, we go to the grave. We go to the funeral the next day. I did a, just a stupid funeral. It was horrible. I didn't even know half what I said. Just quoted scriptures out of context. Just, just trying to, because I keep looking at him thinking, is he in hell? Is he in hell? We go out to the graveside service. We do the thing. Everybody comes by, greets. They're leaving. We're going to take Billy, get her some dinner, and just spend the rest of the day with her. And it's okay, Billy. She said, no, I want to stay till they cover him up. What? Because <laughs> I never stayed at the funeral that long. I want to stay till they put the dirt on him. So I don't know if you ever stayed that long, but, you know, they take the tent down, roll up the green carpet, stack the chairs, and they come, and the forklift comes, and they lower that, then the nice bar around it, they take that away, and it's just, there it is. And then they lower that plate down on it, and then the backhoe comes and scoops the dirt in on top of it. So the backhoe's there, and it's hot, and we're sweating, and I'm standing there, and Denise said, what are we doing? She wants to stay until they cover him up. I don't know. It's my first funeral. I have no idea what she's doing. We're supposed to help a grieving widow, and that's what I'm trying to do, and I don't just do whatever they need. So they're packing it down. All of a sudden, I can hear Billy singing a song. She's singing to herself. Now, it's noise. Backhoe's right there. She's just sitting there watching that dirt getting packed down. Boom, boom. And she's singing. I finally heard what she was singing. Because <laughs> I kept thinking, that sounds familiar. Where, that sounds familiar. And what she was singing was, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And she was serious. I'm thinking, Father in heaven. 
So uh, anyhow, the tractor left. Said, "Well, you ready? I'm ready." Well, <clears throat> let's go do something. Let's go get something. No, she said. I want. So what can we do for her? What would you like? She said, "I want some roses." Well, there were flowers. You know, they're going. I said, "Well, I go get them." No, no, I want some fresh roses to plant in my backyard. I never would plant many roses. Said they were too thorny. I want some rose bushes in my backyard. Well, let's go get them. I go change clothes. We'll go get them. Plant them right now. And so we went, changed clothes, took her down to the nursery, bought three beautiful rose bushes, went to her house, and I planted them in the backyard that evening. So we finished that, got them watered, and they were, this will be pretty. Is there anything else we can do for you? Because we've had dinner, we've planted the bushes, it's getting late. Is there anything else we can do for you? She said, yeah, one more thing. I said, what is it? She said, I want to go to Las Vegas. What? I want to go to Las Vegas. Ron never would take me to Las Vegas. I just wanted to go once. You know, I don't want to gamble. I just want to go see some shows, eat some of that free food. I just wanted to see it. She said, he wouldn't take me because he said the devil lived in Las Vegas. I said, how would you know? You're going to hell anyhow. You wouldn't know. How would you know there's a devil? She said, I want to go to Las Vegas. Now, I'm new. I'm young. <laughs> so I said, okay. Okay, we'll get you there. And I don't know if you know it, but back then, uh, years ago, Southwest Airlines flying in and out of Tulsa, and they go to Vegas real cheap. So we bought her for $212. I bought a round trip ticket to Las Vegas. We sang out for two days. So what you do? First job is a preacher. Well, I sent my first person to Las Vegas. <laughs> now, this is a long story, so I'll give you the end of it. Long story short, she got where she went a lot. So I'm still working out the company where she's at. Where's, where's Billy at? She's in Vegas. Oh, my God, I've hooked her on gambling. I've hooked that old lady on gambling. She's probably going through you know, depression or her husband's death. And uh, th- that's not what happened. She went out and met a really nice uh, widower. And she married him. She lives in Vegas today. She has the most beautiful rose garden you have ever seen in your life. I mean, it's just magnificent. For 34 years, she is married to one of the meanest men probably ever existed. Would not plant her a rose bush or take care of her. And when she buried him, she did different second time around. What are you going to do? I'm going to find me a man that loves rose bushes and loves me and take care of me. Sometimes when we first get married, we don't have a clue about nothing. It's just our flesh. I like you, you like me, you smell good, I smell good, you kiss good, I kiss good. Let's get married. We don't have a clue what it is. God said marriage is a gift. It is. But here's where I'm trying to get with this. When God gives us a gift, there's an old saying, when two people are just alike, one of you is not needed. See, I thought I married me. My wife and I, I mean, I loved these. Her family, my family, real close, went to the same church, worked the same country, went to the same school. We're just alike, I thought, until we got married and started talking. And we never agreed on nothing. Now, I had to go back to Genesis. God said, Adam, you need some help. I'm going to make you a helper. When God made a woman, he made something different. I'll get to this after lunch in a little more detail. Women are better than men. And now, don't take this wrong. Don't take this wrong. Uh, you just go to your public library. The average woman has a 3% higher IQ than the average man. It's just a fact. The average woman outlives the average man by seven years. She has a better immune system. Women save more money than men do. They have better manual dexterity. Uh, women have twice the vocabulary. The average woman uses 24 to 28,000 words a day. The average man only uses 12. That's why not most men home just they just make grunting noises. Uh, uh, uh. They're out of words. They ran out. You've got to wake, wake up the next morning and pick it back up. Now, what God did, God said, Adam, you're in charge. I'm going to make somebody to help you. And what God did, now listen to me. If Adam needed help, think about this. If Adam needed help, you need help. Not good. Why would God make another Adam? 
the first, I'm not, this ain't got nothing to do with sex. If the first one needed help, why would I make two? Now both of you are busted. You both need help. That didn't fix anything. If the first one needed help, the second one's got to be better than the first one he made. I'm not an old engineer. I'm just thinking logical. She's got better manual dexterity. She's got better vocabulary. She's got a better immune system. Why? I made something better to help you do what I asked you to do, not to dominate you, make fun of you, to get in a fight, a helper to help you do what you do. But if you're not doing anything, it won't be a helper. It'll just be hell. <laughs> she can't help you do nothing. So I, um, I've got five daughters and a son. So uh, anytime guys start dating my daughters, and I set this up early. And I told my anybody ask you out on a date, tell them the answer is yes. Can you go out Friday night? Yes, I can. Yes. Now, I did that to protect them because sometimes I didn't want to go out. So if they ask you out and say, yes, I can, but you'll need to see my mom or my dad before Friday to get permission from them. All my dates have to be screened through my parents. This didn't make us holy. It just made us different, Okay. So uh, I'd usually see him. I this one kid. He came by on Wednesday and said, you need to come to the house. I'll meet you after school. I'll meet you at the ball field. I'll meet you in the gym. I just need to see you for 30 minutes before Friday night. And it was the same deal with all of them. So one kid came, great kid. I liked him. Came to the house on Wednesday, and uh, Denise made an apple pie. And so we're having some coffee and apple pie. So we're sitting there. I just need to see him for 30 minutes. He knows this. My daughter's parent. My dad needs to see you for about 30 minutes before Friday night date just to check you out. So it works just kind of him hauling around talking. Now, I'm looking for an answer to one specific question. And so here it is. You're in this thing. He's a nice kid. I like him. Still know him to this day. And so Drake and Carmen, I said, tell me something, son. What do you see yourself doing five years from now? It's the same question I ask every one of them. I'm looking for one deal, one, one answer to one question. What do you see yourself doing five years from now? And here's pretty much what he said verbatim. He said, well, he's a senior in high school. I'm going to get a job at the new McDonald's down here in Bixby uh, as soon as I get out of school. I'm getting a brand-new Ford F-150 pickup, a Beretta 300 shotgun, and a new hunting dog. Well, that was his five-year plan. And I loved all of them. I got a Beretta myself. And, this. and so he's sitting there, and he just threw that out. We're just eating pie, and I'm just looking at him. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, son. You need to, you need to get one more piece of apple pie. And he said, because that's all you're getting at this house. Because... I've raised up my daughters to be a help me going somewhere. And I'm fully confident where you're going, you can get there all by yourself. You don't need any help because you have no vision for your life. There's no reason to date a male that has no vision. None. It's biblical. What are you looking for? Because he's doing nothing. He won't let you help him. And if he won't let you help him, then you're going to have to dominate and yell and scream. Not toast. Not always toast. You don't listen. And that's where every marriage is. Why? You don't know how it's supposed to work. A man needs a vision. He doesn't have to be perfect. He just needs to have an idea. I don't care. What's your vision? I'm going to dig a ditch to China. Praise God. I want to marry you and help you do that. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the vision is. It's just do you have one? What do you want to do? Why would anybody marry if you're not going somewhere? So we go back, so I realize all men are lovers. We do. My job is to love my wife. Number two, I'm a leader. First Corinthians 11.3 is God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man's over the woman. Woman's over the children. Children's over the dog. Dog's over the cat. Cat's over the mouse. Mouse over the cheese. There's a pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word head is not boss. It's source. God is the source of Christ. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If you've seen me... You've seen my father. 
Jesus turns around to male, said, gentlemen, without me, you can do absolutely nothing, but with me, all things are possible. I won't make you do a thing. I'm not your boss. I'm your source if you decide to do something. A man's job is to turn around to his wife and say, honey, what can I do for you? What can I get you? If I can't write a check for it to pay cash, I'm going to start believing God for it. I'm not your boss. I'm your source. A woman is a source for a child. She makes sure that they're fed, that they're nurtured. We're not bosses. We're sources. It's an upside-down pyramid. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Become the servant of everybody. Now, that's what you want in a relation. What are you? I'm a servant machine. How can I help you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now, you won't ever do nothing for me. You got it backwards. When I tell people all the time, Hallmark has the cards all wrong. A marriage card, congratulations about getting married. They should say, I'm so sorry I heard you got married. Because a marriage is a funeral. Because a marriage is a covenant. You can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. I'm so sorry I heard you. If you didn't die at that marriage ceremony, you are a half-dead zombie. You're smelly and you're scary. Because what you say at that, before God and witness, you swear before God wins at a marriage ceremony, I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for this individual. I just died today. I wanted to die. I want to I live my life for this individual. But nobody realizes what a marriage ceremony is. They don't listen to the words. What are you doing? Till death us do part, not until I kill you. Until death us do part. I'm going to serve you. So I'm a lover. I'm a leader. My job, my wife's looking for is leadership. And you want to boy, have a fight? My wife, she gets so mad. I was always an early riser. The Army did that to me. But then when I got in ministry, it flipped because everything's late at night. So I started getting up later, staying up later, getting up later. My wife's still a nursery riser. My wife, she's not up at 5.30, something's wrong. She goes to bed early about 9, 5.30, she, boom, she's up. And when my wife wakes up, she's, she's up. Me, I wake up slow. It takes me 30 minutes to wake up. If you talk to me, I'm going to give you a stupid answer. I don't know anything. I'm, my eyes are open. I'm not awake. I'm walking. I'm not awake. Don't talk to me yet. I'm not ready. And so she would get up and she'd say, Joe, Joe. And she'd, what, 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 what? Joe, what are we doing today? What? What are we doing today? I don't know. What day is it? What? What day? What time is it? You know, and, and we would, by 6 o'clock, we're yelling at one another. Shut up, woman, dear God. Shut up. Back up. Let me get up. Oh, dear God. And we and I realized after going to marriage seminars, I thought, oh, dear God, I know what she wants. She's, she needs some leadership. So to this day, and I, I got them in my briefcase at the hotel. I carry those small yellow pads with me. And so uh, next to my bed at night when I go to bed, I write down what I'm doing the next day. Here are the three things, the eight things, the ten things, or the one thing i got to do tomorrow. What are you writing it for? Her. She wakes up. She can read it. And she'll come around. She'll get that. And she'll kiss me. And she'll go fix breakfast. She's a happy woman. I know what I'm going to help him do today. He's doing this. But you want a frustrated woman, don't tell her anything. You're going to drive her crazy. Why? I can't help you do nothing. What are we doing? So I'm a lover. I'm a leader. Provide leadership. And number three, I'm a provider. First Timothy 5, 8. Any man that does not financially provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He is as one who is denied the faith. What does that mean? I got to get some cash. I got to make some cash. Now, Denise and I have fought more about money than anything else in 41 years. Because I'm real laid back. I'm just a laid back kind of guy. My dad was an electrician, you know, when I was in high school. I worked with him. I learned to be an electrician. But I learned something about money. <laughs> when I had that minimum wage job and I'm working for Old Mass in that plant, I bid on every job in three years. I'm moving up. If it paid 15 cents more an hour, I would bid on it. 
And I noticed every time I'd bid on a better job, somebody told me, Joe, you don't want to do that job. You don't want to work down there. Do you know who the foreman is? You know what that job's like? That job's hard. That job's hard. That job's dirt. There was always a reason why I shouldn't go do that job. I said, listen, guys, I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I work for cash. It is the number one reason I work. We do work with cash. I'm looking for cash. If that job pays more cash than this job, I'm taking that job. I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I work for cash. And I realized when I went, people say, how would you become a lab technician? I outbid everybody. I was, I was working for Old Madison, and I'd just run the machines. And it was a union shop, and I'd go down. If it paid more money than me, I'd sign up. And everybody would always say, McGee, you don't want to work down there. McGee, you don't want to work for them. I said, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going home with them. I'm just working for cash. I don't care where I work. And so I'd run every job. And finally, the one job I had not run was the milk cast department, highest paid job in the plant. Four big furnaces, 20,000 pounds of molten aluminum sitting up on a mezzanine. They got four operators, one foreman, and a janitor. Well, I'm topped out, and I'm realizing i got to make more money. Man, life's getting expensive. Refrigerator door won't stay shut. Dryer door won't stay shut unless you put duct tape on it. Transmission's leaking. My clothes don't fit. I'm putting on weight. You know, I need if couches wore out. Beds wore out. I need a TV. I need some cash. So I'm working for cash, and all of a sudden I realize there's no job left except the furnace job. I thought, hmm, I need to get down there. So I read the union manual. Now I realize something. In a union plant, you really should read the manual. If you're a Christian, you really should read the manual. So I read the manual that says you have to promote from within the department. Well, Melt Cass is the smallest department in the plant. The only place that there is besides being the operator is a janitor. So I bid on the janitor's job. Well, I had to take a cut and pay to take that job. So I signed up one evening, coming next month, you better get down there. Somebody signed your name up for the blankety-blank job down there, cleaning toilets. You know, I said, no, I signed up. Here, where are you going? You going to be a janitor? Yeah, trust me. Man, you, what do you do? You and people could, and I'm not going to explain it to them. And so I got the janitor's job. And it was a fun job. You went to the dump twice a day, drove the forklift, into the cans. I love going to the dump because we could throw away the fluorescent light bulbs, the eight footers. Man, you could chuck that thing like a spear. It's like a science fiction movie. That was incredible. Man, I love going to the dump. And so uh, I just got excited thinking about it. Anyhow. So, uh, all of a sudden one day, the foreman got promoted to sales, went high, qual- uh, high collar, white collar, and they promoted an operator to foreman, and now there's an opening for the furnace operator. Well, there are some bids coming from the other part of the plant, about three employees, three big giant departments, big old plant on the Tennessee River, and so I remember I bid on it. And so they gave it to a guy down in the warehouse, and I went down to the union. I said, he can't get that. That's my job. It's not your job. You haven't been here long enough, Joe. You've got less seniority than anybody. I said, no, but, but I'm in the department, and you have to promote from the department. Now, I can't give you all of it. They get the, it got vulgar and cussing and making fun. It's in your book. You said in the book you have to promote within the department. I'm the only other guy in that department. Well, it went into arbitration for three days. I mean, people wrote names on my car and side of my tires, and it got ugly. Like, what are you are? Listen, I didn't write the manual. You wrote the manual. I'm just doing what the manual said. That's my job. Well, three days later, I became the highest paid guy in the plant. I became a furnace operator. I had to, now, they changed the manual, but, but I had to give me that job. And so, so I'm sitting up there. I'm trying to make this short because it's about money, and we'll get into this after lunch again. I'm sitting up there, and all of a sudden, I got this job, and I love this job. And it, was, it is dangerous. I mean, they got two giant steel plates and 
Twice in eight hours, you empty 20,000 pounds of molten aluminum. So you got the thing. You push a button, giant door is going up off the floor. It's looking like into a volcano. It's just bubbling white, hot, molten aluminum. Push another button, it dumps it. Then you push another one, you pull it back down, then you close. Uh, you pull it back down, and then you drop in a new sow. We get it from the Navy. Big, hard piece of aluminum, you put it so it can melt it. Well, it's an induction furnace. So what happens is... When you empty it, that aluminum will set up. So you have to close the lid for just a minute, stand up on top of that giant, you know, eight foot by eight foot metal lid with square holes in it. You put on the asbestos coat with asbestos shoes and a big mask and asbestos glove, and you drop a steel bar down under that chute and you take a 10 pound sledgehammer, boom, boom, and you got to bust it out before it sets up or it'll run that furnace. So you're sweating, man, it's running off you like Niagara, you're pounding it out. Then you get off, you open it up, put the other side, and you close it. Now you had to do that two times in eight hours. So in 30 minutes each. So for one solid hour, eight hour shift, you're standing over hell itself. You're sweating every piece of fat you got out of you. It's like, oh, God. But the other seven hours, you're sitting in front of a 48-inch fan drinking all the Pepsis you want to drink. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It was an incredible job. I'm up there one day, and a guy walks by the mezzanine every morning about 10 o'clock. Nice pants, white shirt, never sweats. Everybody in this plant sweats. It's the kind of plant that it is. It's just hot. So I asked the foreman one day, who is that guy that comes by every morning? He said, well, that's the lab technician. I said, how come he doesn't sweat? He never sweats. Well, it's because it's air conditioned in the lab. Air conditioned? There's a job down here that's air conditioned? And I'm not making this up. So I said, does he make more money? Now, I'm talking on marriage. I haven't left the subject. Does he make more money than we do? Sure. How much money does he make? He said, well, how do you get to be one of those? He said, well, you have to have a degree in metallurgy. I said, metallurgy? What's that? Study of metal. So anyhow... I got off work. I went down to the main office, which sits separate from the building. This is where all the main offices, white-collar people and secretaries are and plant manager. So I went down there, and I walked in. I'm talking to the receptionist. She said, can I help you? I said, yeah, how do you get to become a lab technician? Now, she's the receptionist. I don't mean this in a bad way, but she really doesn't know what's going on in the plant. She just hired to answer phones and give directions. How do you get to become a lab technician? She said, well, you have to take a test. I said, really? What kind of test? Well, it's a metallurgical test. I said, when do you give them? She said, well, we're giving one on Thursday. We have an opening. I said, can I take that test? Well, sure, I guess. Would you like to? I'd love to take that test. When is it? <laughs> well, it's 4.30 on Thursday when I get off at 4 o'clock. I said, well, do I sign something? And so there was a tight piece of paper with 17 names, 17 guys with degrees in metallurgy that are going to apply for this job. And I said, so I signed up. I'm the only handwritten name. My name's handwritten number 18 on the bottom. So I handed in. So Thursday I go down there, and I walk in to take the test. Now, I've been wearing my blue uniform. It's white with sweat. Because it's white. It's like I'm from a science fiction movie. And I smell. I've been on that furnace all day, and I walk in, and the guy giving the test, they're getting ready to start. He said, can I help you? I said, yes, I'm here to take this test. He said, I don't think so. Because everybody's in there in their blazers and their suits. These are college graduates. I said, no, really, I'm here. He said, what's your name? And I said, well, somebody had redid the list and typed it in. It looked official. Oh, okay, well, have a seat. So I sit down. I sit down, and of course, they hand the test out. Well, it's all on metallurgy. It's 100 A, B, C questions, A, B, C, or D, A, B, C, or D, multiple choice. So I'm looking at it. So I'm reading the first. And so I know about tests. If you don't know the answer, go to the next one. If you don't know the answer, go to the next one. I'm on 57. I'm heading toward 58. I don't know how to answer the thing yet. <laughs> this, this might as well be written in Greek. I have no clue what this is. I don't know what this is. It's got a micrometer. I've never seen a micrometer. We, we had a cheap high school, little country high school. We barely had wood stuff. We didn't have a micrometer. So, well, I'll guess. So I went back to one. I did A, 2B, 3C, 4D, 5A, and I went A, B, C, and I went and I did reread it again. I'm looking at it. Now, it's a two-hour test. I finished in 20 minutes. 
I stood up in the back and I walk up front to hand it in. And people are standing up. My God, he's a genius. He's a genius. And I hand it in. Two weeks go by. My foreman yells at me one day. I'm up on that front. Says, Mickey, what'd you do? I'm doing nothing. I'm working. They want you down in the lab. What did you do? Oh, I took a test to be a lab technician. You weren't supposed to do that. Get out there and fix that. And so I go down. So I walk down the lab. Never been in the lab. I walked in and I thought, oh my God, I've gone to heaven. Everything stainless steel, white walls, white floors, stainless steel. Erica just hit you like you went to the North Pole. They're playing classical music. I never heard classical music. I grew up with bluegrass. It's classical music. I can smell lunch. We ate junky lunch. We ate out of the machines. We ate pineapple and cream cheese sandwiches. You ever had a pineapple cream cheese out of one of those machines? You eat that, you won't go to the bathroom for a month. That will mess your colon up for a month. We're eating junk. And all of a sudden, they're catering to lunch in corned beef on rye. And the guys are playing a game. And I went back and said, what's that? Now, I have no chess. I can play chess. Well, this is cribbage. I've never heard cribbage. What's that? Cribbage? Is that like cabbage? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know? And I go in. And so Steve Radline was the, was the foreman of the lab. And uh, he had a degree in chemical engineering. Crew cut, smoking a lime green pipe. He worked for NASA before NASA was famous. His pipe was made out of the stuff that the heat shields are made out of on the space shuttle, long before there was a space shuttle. So he's puffing that pipe and says, sit down, McGee. And he said, why do you want to be a lab technician? And he's just looking at me. He's got my test in front of him. And I said, well, uh, I have a lot of hobbies, and money's not one of them. I work for cash, and uh, you know, I'll make more money than I do out there. Plus, uh, man, this is nice in here. This is uh, air-conditioned. Uh, you're eating corned beef on rye. I don't know what that is on classical music, but it beats all those country stations we're playing out there in the plant. He said, you know, you weren't supposed to take this test. I said, well, nobody told me. They let me take it. He said, do you know what you scored? No, I guessed at everything, so I figured I got a 50-50 chance of making 50. He said, you scored, you scored a nine. Now, when he, I can feel it, right? When he told me, I thought maybe they rounded it up or something. Nine. Nine? Is that a point? What is that? He said, nine, Joe. You got nine out of a hundred. He said, Joe, don't ever gamble. You're not good at guessing. He said, uh, he, and what he had to do, because I took the test, he had to pull my personnel file. He said, Joe, do you not like working here? Well, I love working here. I've been working almost four years now. He said, well, you, you keep moving around. You've run every machine in the plant. I know because every machine I ran paid more than the machine I was running before. I'm I have a lot of hobbies, work's not one of them, I'm working with cash. Now, this is a true story. He said, well, I got a problem. I didn't talk to him. What is it? Well, we don't have a good work relationship with the people in the plant, blue collar, white collar, and the plant manager's mad at me. We need the liaison to represent us to them and them to us. And evidently, you work for every one of those forms. They all like you out there. You got a great work record, and you know what we're doing out there. Would you be willing to come into the lab for three months? We'll see if we can teach you how to run the machinery. He said, now, we're not going to teach you the math. I don't think you can learn that. But we're going to teach you the, the machinery. And would you be willing to do that for three months, see if we can make a lab technician out of you, and we'll let you be the liaison between us and the floor. And that, Susie said, I'm thinking, and I'm trying to help you here about marriage. I said, um, can I get one of those uniforms with the white shirt and the blue pants? My wife would really be impressed if I came to work with a white shirt. Yeah, we can get you one of those. Am I going to get a raise and pay for doing this? He said, Joe, don't push this. I said, okay, sure, I'll do that. Three months later, Charlie Schwigger was the foreman in the lab. 
Man, horrible dandruff, horrible dandruff. Charles was a great, sweet guy. Ate mustard sardines for lunch every day. Could peel your eyebrows off your face, his breath was so bad. But a great-hearted guy. Loved God. And just, he just, oh, just mustard sardines. Lord have mercy. And so three months later, I became the first nine-degree lab technician. Uh, I didn't take but uh, two weeks working to realize each shift has three technicians. One of us was a senior technician. I didn't know that. I said, why are you a senior technician? Do you make more money than the rest of us do? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to help you about marriage. I'm not let the, do you make, because if you don't want something, if you're waiting on the bus to come by and the ship to come in, not coming, people. Nothing's coming unless you go get it. you got to want something first before it's ever possible. I want the kind of marriage that makes other people jealous. I want you to ask me about the hope that's in me. I want you to know, why is that good-looking woman like to suck lips off my face? Because I'm real stinking good. It's not because I'm good-looking, because I'm real good, real good. I remember the movie stars used to collect this from my marriage seminars. You ever remember who Sophia Loren married when she married that little fat Italian guy with the bald head? <laughs> and she just hugged up to him like, dear God, he looks like a little, he looks like a tadpole. He's a, he's a fire hydrant. <laughs> but when they had asked her about it, and said, he loves me. Lots of good-looking men have chased me. And she's winning saved. She said, he loves me. Secret, what are you going to do? I'm going to love you. You're going to want to suck lips off my face. <laughs> Anyhow, I went and asked how to become a senior lab technician. and said, you can't do it because you don't know how to run the quantometer. There's only, I think at the time, there's only four or five in the state of Tennessee. One University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and we have one here. I said, it can't be that hard, the quantometer. It's this big machine that does a burn analysis on the metal, tells you how much zinc, manganese, copper is in it. Well, I stayed, I stayed over every shift for about two months to learn how to run it. And so when another position opened up, I asked for it. You can't do it. You can't run the quantometer. Sure, I can. Come test me. And I became the first senior lab technician without a degree. Had I not been working, I'd never met Bill Clark. Bill Clark came to work as a new boss for us. Uh, got me spirit filled. And he hired me as an engineer in Sykes, Missouri. Well, I had one year of college. And he sent me back to school. And it took seven years. He sent me back to get my degree, trying to, get, to become a qualified engineer. And I was telling Pastor, you know, when I finally went to uh, Oral Roberts University because I became a school administrator, uh, ORU passed a law. I can't stay a school administrator unless I get my master's. So I went three summers to get my master's in education. I'm at the last of that. And Dr. Jernigan sent word down. I was in my last class, and I had taught several of the classes for Dr. Don Petrie, who started CBN University with Pat Robertson. He and I had known each other for a long time. And I'd teach this class on leadership because my school became the number one academic school in the United States, and we held it for five years. My school. And he said, wow, it's a long story, but I'm trying to show you something here. You get what you want. If you don't want nothing, you don't get nothing. Most people, oh, you don't know how hard, oh, how bad. Oh, what I, everybody's been through hell. Shut your face up. What are you going to do about it? You're going to sit and cry about it because it'll just invite more hell? Or do you want to do something? See, anger won't get you anything. You start getting mad, you just lost all your punch. Mm, it won't do anything for you. So all of a sudden, we're sitting there, we're going through this. So uh, Dr. Jernigan went down and said, uh, he said, Joe, we can't find your bachelor's degree anywhere. Did you not send it? I said, no. He said, well, we need it to get your master's to put them there. I said, well, I don't have a bachelor's degree. So you got to have a bachelor's degree. How would you become a school administrator? Well, they fired the first three guys in front of me over a six-year period, and I was number four. And my pastor hired me because he said, Joe, people like you, and they don't like the school, so you need to take over. I said, I don't know about school. So I started taking classes. Now, I've always take classes. I love taking classes. And he said, he said, 
you got to have a bachelor's. How'd you get, how'd you get hired? I said, well, they hired me. I didn't have one. How'd you get in the master's program? Well, I showed up the first day of class. You said I needed it. Dr. Pecker was teaching the class. My very first class, master's class at Old Roberts University. I'm sitting there first day. And Dr. Pecker looked at, Joe, come here a minute. Cause he got me accredited. So I said, Joe, I got to go back to Missouri. Can you take this class? You know this. Six weeks to hear the notes. You can do this. And I taught the first master's class I was ever in. By the guy who started the program. So they just assumed I'm somebody. <laughs> so I was sharing with them exactly before it started. So they said, we can't give you a, we can't give you a master's. You know? And so what they did, they rolled all my hours from my master's back to my bachelor's to make my bachelor's legal. But I don't have a master's. But I took the course. I made A's. I actually taught some of it. I just don't have a piece of paper to prove it. And why am I telling you that? People like stories and they like to laugh. I worked with people who got laid off, got fired. I've been laid off twice. Got fired once. What are you going to do? Well, I can't burn wood in the barrel and cry all day. I'm going to have to get another job. Doing what? Whatever I can right now. We are supposed to fix stuff that's not working. What are going to do? I'm a problem solver. I'm a lover leading provider to what? Her. What's her job? Well, she's to help me to manage and love her. Now, watch this. Top two needs of a man. There's four. I'll give you two. We'll take a break. Top two needs of a man in this order. Number one need of all men is honor. Men go where they look good. If they don't look good, they won't go there. That's why men like to cut the mufflers off their car, wear our hat backwards, the britches of a 400-pound man, put 12 speakers in the car. We want you to hear us coming a mile away. <laughs> what is it? We want, we're, we're like a dog trying to wheel on a stump. We want you to know we've been there. We want to peel our tires, play our music loud. We want to dress weird. It's like, what is that? Please look at me. I don't know who I am. That's why we're trying to get somebody to look at. Why? We need honor. That's why we shoot stuff and hang their heads on the wall. Shot that, kill that, beat that death, just drug that home. <laughs> we keep our bowling trophy. We keep our letter jacket. What is it? It's honor. Men need honor by God's design. God has honor. God's got four angels called Sephiroth around his throne right now. got six wings and nine balls on every side of their head. God made them on purpose. If you can go to heaven right now and look at these weird angels, all they do is cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. They volley that back and forth 24 hours a day as we know time. Holy, holy. If you can go to heaven and say, Father, what are these things doing? Praising me. Shut your face up. Listen to this. Holy, holy, holy. Well, how long are they going to do it? Going to do it forever. Shut up. Quit interrupting. Holy, holy, holy. They ever need a break? They don't need to break their angel. Shut up. Listen to this. Holy. God Almighty created four angels who will never do anything but gum flap him. That's their full-time job. Forever. What would you do, God? I made these things. Really a while like that. What are they doing? Gum flapping me. I love gum flapping. Now, we call it God inhabits praise. God loves praise you and i were made in the image of god you got a human says they don't need praise they're a liar we all need praise but we'll either get it righteously or we will get it unrighteously but we all need it we'll peel our tiles out of a red light we'll turn our music up loud we'll wear our hat backwards we'll do what please look at me i don't i am what is it we need affirmation the Bible says, Mark, the end of a perfect man, into that man is peace. You find a human who knows who they are in Christ, they don't have to prove nothing to nobody. They know who they are. They'll walk in a room and leave it better than they found it, not show off and tell the latest, loudest story. They, are, they know who they who are. I know who I am. I'm good. How can I help you? I'm covered. God Almighty loves me just like I am, warts and all. I am accepted in the beloved. How can I help you? I don't need your affirmation. God Almighty who made the universe has already affirmed me. 
But if you leave home not knowing who you are in Christ, you're going to suck the life out of everybody you touch. And that's why most marriages don't make it. You're trying to make them God. They're not God. God's God. You understand? So, I need honor. I'm going to look for it. Now, hopefully I came out of a church, so I'll look for it righteously. Now, <laughs> I, was, I was interviewing. Uh, I hired this kindergarten teacher. It's her first year, right out of college. She's teaching K-5. School's been going on two weeks. Back then, we had no K-4. It wasn't legal yet. So we got K-5. And so boys and girls are very different. We should never put males and females together in a classroom in elementary school. Never. I've advocated that. South Carolina almost got away with it four years ago. Up through fifth grade, boys were not allowed to be in a classroom with girls. And a bunch of women's groups protested and stopped it from happening. Males and females learn differently. They learn slower. Boys learn at a much slower rate than girls, but pick up the pace around the ninth grade. God made us different, not better, different. So a boy's performance-oriented. Girls aren't performance-oriented. They're relationship-oriented. Go down here to any store. It's got magazines. Look at the magazine covers. Just go down here. You can go to a grocery store or Walmart. Just look at magazine covers. All the men's magazines. I don't care if it's sports, hunting, fishing. I don't care if sex. I don't care what it is. Look at the front cover of any men's magazine, and it's going to be a performance statement. How to shoot that deer with one shot. Catch that bass on one cast. Fix that carbon. It's performance. They know what men, what's men looking. Get it done. Get it done quick. Get on something else. Look at the front cover of women's magazines. I don't care. Woman's Day, Cosmopolitan. Every lead article on the front cover trying to lure a woman to buy it is a relationship statement. Does he love his mother more than he loves you? <laughs> Who cares? I don't care. God made us different. So women are relationship oriented. Men are performance oriented. So a boy, you take and put him in the classroom, kindergarten. I'm coming in. I told the teacher, I'll be in your class later this evening. I have to evaluate you for accreditation. Please do not acknowledge me. I'm just going to stand in the back for 20 minutes and file a report. Well, the minute I came in the back of the room, I just slipped in real quiet. She turned to boys and girls, Mr. McGee, our administrator's here. Turn around and say hello. And I thought, one mark against you. I told you not to do that. Said, hello. God bless you. Turn around. And so what she did, she had set me up because I'm just going to observe her. Well, she's going to try to do something extra. So she had a game set up. She's going to do a game versus what they've learned in the first two weeks of school, which is pretty much nothing. They learned some shapes, some sizes, and some colors. Okay. And so she's going to have not this side of the room versus this side. She's going to do boys versus girls. Another mark against you. So she throws out the first question. Who has the answer to this? Now, pretty much 90% of the males come out of their desk. Who has the answer to this? Boys are rocking. These are five-year-olds. Me, me, call me. I got it. I got it. Now, what is that? That's how God made men. They're trying to dominate, show off, and get on it. If that five-year-old boy wasn't convinced he had the answer, his hand would not be up. His hand's up because he knows he's got the answer. Me, call me. So... So 70% of the time, women will call on males versus females in elementary school just to shut them up. And so she looks, she calls this kid at the back of the room back because he's rocking his desk. Oh, Johnny, okay, well, what's the answer? <laughs> he yells, B, B's the answer. And he knows he's got it. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong answer. Who else has an answer? Now, she didn't watch him. I'm back there next to him. He went down like the red baron in flames. Like other males turned on him. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> he's tearing up. He don't want to participate. He's trying to show off. He just got shot. And so she looks outside the room. There's a little girl there. I have an answer. I have an answer. Yes, Susan. Went, the answer see, see the answer. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong. Oh, I have another answer. I have another answer. A girl will give 12 wrong answers in a row and have a great time. Wasn't that fun? That was so much fun. I just love doing that. You watch them on a playground first day of school. 
five-year-old boys come out on the playground, they're never talking. They'll walk out and they just look at the other boys. They're sizing each other up. They might throw a rock at another boy. They might hit another boy. But they're not talking to another boy. But five-year-old girls, first day on the playground, they don't even know each other. They'll cluster like long-lost cousins. And they're sharing stories about their dolls and where they've been. And just making friends immediately. God made males and females different. That's why in the third grade, boys outnumber girls 13 to 1 in remedial reading classes. Boys dumb? No, they're different. They won't catch up to about the 8th and ninth grade. Around there, they run off and lead girls in the math and science classes. Why? God didn't make us better. He made us different. You marry somebody of the opposite sex from a different family with different talents and abilities. When I did gear ratios, if you put two gears together with the same number of teeth, you're going to shear them. Opposites engage. Opposites engage. In the field of electricity, opposites engage. You'll blow something up if you don't put opposites together. Male, what did God do? Made a male, gave a female. Why? They don't think the same. Uh, they have different manual dexterity. Uh, uh, women have two X chromosomes. Men only have one. Most men look like they got dressed at the Salvation Army. But we don't have a clue about color. Uh, women say, you wearing those pants again today? Yeah, I wore them. Don't you touch them. I got them broke in. Don't you know? Uh, um, uh, we, we, uh, when a man, uh, for example, oh, I'll give you this, and I love this. They did a video. This is from England. A lady is brushing her teeth, wiping down a kitchen counter, finished packing the school lunch, giving instructions to her kids all at the same time, and will not spit on anything. Women can do four things at one time and not be confused. When a man brushes his teeth, 95% of all males, when they brush their teeth, have to get right in front of the sink, feet a foot apart. If they're right-handed, they will brace themselves with their left hand. And research has shown men do not move their toothbrush. They move their heads to the speed of the water coming out of the spigot. Why is that? God made us different. You, you know, I'm family vacation. When a man has to do something, he has to shut everything else down. That's why if you ever see your husband watching a ball game, you think, oh, he's sitting still. I can talk to him. You can sit down next to your husband while he's watching the ball game. You and he'll do this to you. He'll like, what? And you'll say something incredibly intelligent. Aren't you listening to me? No, he's not. <sighs> Male brain. This is from the American Medical Association. Male brain. Let's do the female brain. Female brain is like a huge soccer field. Everything she's heard, said, and read about for the last three weeks is running around that field, can come out of her mouth at any given moment and with any number of things. A woman can talk about three things in one sentence and not be confused. And the husband says, my God, what are you talking about? She knows what she's talking about. They say the male brain is like that soccer field, except it's like a big set of mailboxes. Men compartmentalize everything to do. This is a medical fact. Men compartmentalize. A man's brain's like a lot of mailboxes. So he's got a mailbox for work, mailbox for deer hunting, mailbox for sex, mailbox for you know mowing the grass. Wherever a man is, is the only place he exists. I told one time that I remember we at this couple's house. And he's fixing the doorknob. She been fix that door. He's got his toolbox. Fix the doorknob. And she comes up to him, honey. When you finish that, since you got your tools out, I got a faucet leaking in here. And he, well, you let me fix the doorknob, I'll get to it. Why? He's doing one thing at a time. You talk to a man when he's doing one thing, and he'll, he'll get mad or confused. Will you let me finish this? Why is he? He's in that one. He's in the mailbox compartment of the doorknob. you got to let me get out of this. Women can be in all the doors at all times. It doesn't bother her. And we wonder, he's just rude. No, he's a male. He does one thing at a time. You ever talk to a man when he's shaving? He'll cut himself. What? 
What do you want? Can't you see I'm shaving? You think, what's wrong with it? <laughs> he said, he got lost on a vacation. Well, you ever see a man get lost on a vacation and have to read a map? A man will pull off the side of the road. The first thing a man does before he reads a map is he'll turn the radio off. <clears throat> Shut up. I'm reading a map. Why? A man cannot hear and read a map at the same time. When a man's watching a ball game, the hearing part of his brain is shut down. I tell women, when a man's reading, a, for example, if he's reading a newspaper, he's 70% deaf. He can't hear you. He's not being rude. Will you put that down? He can't hear you. Men move from one compartment of the brain to the other, and they shut the door behind them. They go one place at a time. Women don't do that. And women, for years, we've got sitcoms making fun of men because they're stupid. No, they're males. God designed them to focus on one thing at a time. You're the help meet to hand them something when they get to the next deal. If you don't know that, you'll mock him, make fun of him, and he cannot stand not being honored. A man cannot stand being honored. That's why when you have, you're talking about sex relations, I don't know if we're going to get to that seat and we'll try. Um, a man will make love to his wife. First thing he'll do is ask how it was. Hey, how was that? Like one to ten. I remember I asked my wife that one time, and I teach on marriage. So I asked that one time. She said, well, Joe, number one, if you have to ask, you should already have your answer. <laughs> she said, but if I have to, I'm going to go down to Walmart and get a tote board. And I'm just going to, you know, you get those tote boards where signs come across and you just type in something. So I'm going to get a tote board, and I'm going to put it up on top of the <laughs> wall there in the bedroom. And every time we make love, I'm going to push a button, and I'm just going to have 10 point old scroll across. 10 point old, 10 point, And I'm going to have a like, <laughs> If I have to, we'll just call those things to be not as though they are. You know, what do you want? Because men want to know how they're doing. We measure things, you know, how tall, how wide, how deep, how big. We're performance-oriented. That doesn't make us evil. It just makes us different. And so what happens, you come back and you realize when we start talking to solve something, because our full-time job, I was with Denise, you know, talked to her late last night, this morning. Uh, four of my kids are married and out of college. Two are finishing their degree up. i got another wedding coming up. Uh, we just Her father just wanted to be with Jesus two months ago. My mom's had some medical stuff she's dealing with right now in Chattanooga. We're working with that. we got a lot of stuff. And that doesn't include the ministry or what we're doing with us. It's like, there's a lot of stuff. So we're having to talk constantly. Wow, two are better than one. So let me just read this to you, and then we're gonna, we'll break for lunch. I'm going to read this. Two are better than one. Let's hold you all this to realize. I want you to understand God made us different on purpose. So... The power of two. You know all these scriptures, but I'm just going to read them. You can write them down if you want to. Genesis 2.18, I've already given this. The Lord said it is not good for the man to be alone. Everybody say not good. good. One more time. God said not good for man to be alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one, for if one falls, he has somebody to help him up. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he doesn't have anybody to help him up. If one lies by themselves, they're probably going to get cold. Two lie together and have some heat. One gets attacked, they're probably going to get whipped. But two get attacked, they can withstand the attack. Throughout the Word of God, Old and New Testament, two is a powerful number. Two. What's the biggest two we know of? Husband and wife. That's why the devil, the day you start thinking about getting married, is going to try to divide you two. God, listen to me, the devil tried to separate God from his kingdom, God from Adam and Eve, separate Adam from Eve, separate Adam and Eve from the children, Adam and Eve from the mother. The devil is a divider. Jesus is a uniter. Father, make them one together like you and I are one. Jesus unites, devil divides. If you don't understand that, you're going to start accusing the wrong problem. It's not a human problem. Look at this. I love this one. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. We know of this one. Jesus said, If any two of you shall agree here on earth concerning anything he asks my Father in heaven, he will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, 
I am there among them. That's New Living Translation. Proverbs 18.22. I already quoted this one. Proverbs 18.22. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from God. What would you find? You got, I found a good thing. Why y'all fight all the time? I, didn't, I don't know what the good thing is, I guess. I'm explaining that here in closing. I like this. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. This is not a bumper sticker anywhere. I like this. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. A New Living Translation says, Live happily with a woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you. For the wife God gives you is your reward for your earthly toil. Now, the first time I read that, we weren't doing good in our marriage. I thought, dear God, that's my reward. That's it for all I've been to, and that's my reward. Hurt, near God. What did I do so wrong? That's what I was thinking at the time. First Timothy five fourteen. First Timothy five fourteen. I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. Matthew nineteen verse four through six. Matthew nineteen. She said, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. Male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then I'll give you this, and this is sort of a stretchy one, but Malachi 2.15, Malachi 2.15. Did not the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Every nation, now I'm you just, just without even saying anything. We'll get into this this week. Um, parenting's a really big deal. It's not a magic wand. You don't stop being a parent when your child turns 18. When you're 90 and they're 70, you'll still be their parent. Hope they'll still be asking you for wisdom and ask for insight because you can keep a good relationship. The whole, the whole thing of Israel and Abraham, God picked Abraham for only one reason, Genesis 18, 19. God, why are you picking him to start a whole new race of people? Because evidently he's got some challenges. You know, he's run off from the promised land twice. He's tried to give his wife away twice. It's not like he's a walking water saint. Why don't you pick him? Because I know him. What, did he try to give his wife away twice and won't possess the promised land? No. I know him that he will teach his children and his children's children and all those after him. What are you talking about? What good is it if I give this man something, he won't pass it on to the next generation? The church is one generation away from being extinct. We're not focused on the next generation. We're dying. Now, there are several religions in the world that really major on this. Catholicism is huge all over the world, regardless of what you think about them. Why? They're real big on kids. Huge on kids, on having and teaching and training and having schools for them. They got the largest private school in the world. Muslim religion, why? Start early. Well, it's biblical to start early. You know, Isaiah 28, 9 and 10, whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God to? Those weaned from their mothers. Well, for most people, that's about a two year old. When you start teaching about God, when they're two, how do you teach them? Line up on line, precept on precept. Isaiah 54, 13, all of your children shall be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. The Bible is a sardine can of God said, it's really important that you pass on what I'm teaching you. It's real important. Why? Because they're going to do what they think. And so a man thinks in his heart, so is he. One thing I've learned in counseling, and just as a husband and father, people do what they think. 
Peter said, I wonder why they did that. Because they thought that way. Why do they think that way? Because that's what they fed on. What I feed on is what I think about is what I do. I had a couple bring their 14-year-old son to me for counseling. And I knew the kid. The kid wasn't bad. He's just normal. And so dad didn't go to church at all. Mom went all the time. Dad brings him in and says, he's griping. Sit, they sit down across my desk. Boy, just like his mother runs his mouth all the time, doesn't give me respect. Mom, boy, just like his father never hits a lick at nothing, no good around the house. And they're just, just you can tell it's just, and I went up like, what do you want me to do? You're waving a wand at you. And so finally the dad stood up and he points at the kid and he yells, Mr. McGee, we want you to fix him. We're going to the mall. We'll be back in an hour. He knows we're one of those Holy Ghost Shondai churches. He figures I'll wave a magic wand, cast some devils out. He didn't care what I do, just fix it. Parents left, boys just looking at me, and I'm looking at him. So I didn't think of, I couldn't think of anything. So I said, You want a Pepsi? He said, Yeah, let's go get a Pepsi. So we drank two Pepsis, just walked around the parking lot of the church, just talked. We didn't talk about anything important. We just visited, talked, told jokes, laughed. Dad comes back about an hour and a half later. And so kids sitting in my chair across my desk, working on a second Pepsi, legs over the armchair, kicking it. We're just laughing. We're having a big time. Now, Dad thinks I've done some of that Shonda stuff. I've done something got rid of that devil. And so he's wanting to bond with me. So he didn't sit down and say, well, tell me something, Mr. <laughs> what's been What's been the problem with my kid? What's wrong with my kid? And I said, uh, I said well, uh, why has he been acting so stupid is what he said. I said, well, he's been acting stupid because he thinks stupid. I thought, oh, that didn't sound good. I thought, well, I'm already in. So I said, he thinks stupid because he feeds on stupid stuff. Whatever a man feeds on is what he's going to be. Take heed to yourself. Guard your heart with all diligence rather than this is a lie. I care who you are. I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll mark you. I'll mark you. He themselves can do that. I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll say you something you don't want. Why? Because out of the abundance of heart, the mouth will speak. Works like gravity. I get you talking. I know what you're concerned about because it's going to come out of your mouth. It's a law. So what's that mean? I need to start feeding on something different. Based on my life, maybe I need to start thinking different. Maybe I need to meditate in the Word of God day and night. Then I'll prosper and have good success. Third John 2, Joshua 1, 8, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. I better change what I'm thinking on. Now, I'm a normal guy. You come to my house, I live in a normal house. Married, well, it's not normal. I live in a barn, a big two-story barn. Built it on purpose 30 years ago. Got a silo on the side. That's my stairwell. Trying to get my kids out in the country. We just got out of Bible school. Man, I was making minimum wage, minimum wage. So I could build. So I borrowed just enough money to build it. Built this house. It's got two Cracker Barrel porches on it. and uh, There's a swimming pool in the backyard. And my front yard is a tennis court. Poured the concrete myself. I've uh, got baseballs hanging from trees and hit. I've got bicycles and four-wheelers and got a go-kart. Two and a half acres live on the side of a mountain. You can shoot snakes. I got a little mini gun range out back. People say, What were you trying to build? I said, I was trying to build a state park. What for? My kids. My kids get out of school. They don't want to go to town. They won't come to my house. Uh, I got a big screen TV in my family room. You know, I got my own video library because we've got on DVD and now we're just electronic now. So I got a lot of DVDs if you ever want any. And uh, I got my own library back there. And I've screened everything we watch. If it doesn't make me laugh, we don't watch it. So I got a lot of Westerns, a lot of John Wayne movies and stuff. And uh, my kids were in college, and they senior in college, and they came home for Christmas. We're inviting friends over. We're going to do a hayride and cookout. And Sarah's going to rent a couple of movies we can watch late at night, eat some popcorn with all the kids and the family. And so we're there in Blockbuster back when they were still in business. And I said, what are you getting? She said, we're getting the Titanic. 
I said, the what? What's the new one? Now, down our DVD, we'll screen out all the sex and the bad words, but it's a great movie. You've got to see it. And we're standing at the blockbuster. Christmas time, it's packed. We're ready to go home back out in the country. I said, uh, have they changed the end of that movie? <laughs> now, you can laugh. I'm very serious. I'm very serious. She said, what? I said, uh, the end of the movie, does the boat still sink at the end of that movie? She said, yes. I said, how, how long is that movie? Three hours. I said, babe, I'd rather go home and shove a toothpick under my fingernail and sit there for three hours and pay $8 and watch that boat sink. She said, what? I'm not going to sit down and watch that boat sink and those people drown. And she's back because she's like, Colin, well, it's a true story. <laughs> people boiling in the hell is a true story, but I won't be there. I'll be sat on my horse eating dinner in heaven. I'm not going to watch that either. I'm not going to watch that boat sink. And so her and I had real disagreements about a year and a half when her college started messing with her. I said, baby, I feed on truth. God's truth. Word's truth. I'm here to change things that aren't true. I'm a hell fixer. I'm not going to feed on it. I don't watch stuff done in good. And that's just me. This isn't God. This is just Joe. And so when I raised my family, I said, we're going to do it. We're going to feed on good stuff. I want my family to be a family of laughter and a family of joy. I don't hear joy come out of my home. Joy of the Lord's our strength. You need to learn how to laugh, even when it's not funny. <laughs> it's like you have laugh. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. We got an opportunity here. Praise God. <laughs> you know, we've been there before. F's on a report card. Your drunk driver hit my baby's head on one time. We got to go to the merch room. I'm just in there smiling. <laughs> Praise God. We get to believe Jesus. Who have mercy. Because if you're not doing that, you're, you're a billboard for the devil. My God. You got Jesus in there, but that's not prayer. So what I realized, God said, I'm going to make something called a family. What's it going to be? It'll represent everything on earth. What are you going to start with in the garden? Family. Family came first. Church came second. Church came along and put the family back together. Do what? What's church supposed to do? Teach. So what about your pastor? Man, I had a seminar come in the airport. Man, I learned some great stuff here. Teach. You are what you feed on. If you love me, tell me the truth. I don't need you to stroke me. I need you to tell me the truth. So what we do in the seminar, we're going to do. We're going to teach you how you build a marriage. And eventually, you're going to see, I just went to all my high school reunions. Just went to my 40th. <laughs> and there were kids I went to high school with 40 years ago that were saved 40 years ago. We went to each other's revivals that are still saved today. There were kids I went to high school with 40 years ago who weren't saved 40 years ago, and they're still not saved. Jesus comes today, they're going to hell in the handbasket. But what was ironic was there's a lot of the kids that I went to high school with 40 years ago who weren't saved then and aren't saved today who are doing real stinking good. They got great marriages. They're making good money. Their kids are doing good. And you sit there as a believer and say, what's going on? Well, just because they don't know the king doesn't mean they're not working the laws of the kingdom. The laws work whether you're saved or not saved. I push two people off a building. They're both coming to the ground whether they're saved or not saved. Gravity does not look at the Christian. Hey, that's a Christian. Bring him down slow. <laughs> Gravity works regardless. It's a law. And there are people who have learned the laws of living right even though they don't know the lawgiver. There are people who know the lawgiver, but they won't feed on what he said to do. Now, what do you want? I want a great marriage. I want my seed, Psalms 112, because I fear God. I pray it twice a day. Father, Psalm 3411, I ask you to teach me and my family to fear you. I pray it twice a day. Because we fear you, I love this, Proverbs 910, Proverbs 17, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. With that wisdom, Proverbs 316 comes long life, riches, and honor. What are you looking for? Long life, riches, and honor. Well, the world's looking for that, too. How are you going to get it? I'm going to fear God first. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that brings long life, riches, and honor. So I've told my kids, I expect you to do real stinking good, real good. 
I don't expect any. Listen, I didn't say you won't hit the dirt. You won't have an attack. You won't get a bad report. You won't get laid off. That you won't make an F on a report card, but you better be the one that gets up and goes and fixes it. You've got to learn how to get back up. So people say, boy, you've been lucky. What? You've been lucky. I mean, all four of my, actually all six, but my four that are out all went on college scholarship money. All. Scholarship. How'd you get that? Because I couldn't afford college. We had to get scholarship. So I went and asked people who got scholarship. How'd you get a scholarship? How did you get a scholarship? The wealth of the wig is later for the just. Where's it at? So I went to the local library. I went and visited college professors. How do you get free money? Where do you get free money at? Well, there's a lot of ways. You can do work programs. I realized the biggest way to get money is make a high score on the SAT and ACT test. High school kids only want to take it to pass. They're not trying to get a high score. They're trying to pass. Now, if you're naturally smart, you'll knock the top off it, but you still only took it one time. Well, if the wealth of the wicked is later for the just, we're going to knock the top off of that. So all my kids started taking it in the seventh grade. We we're going to take the PACT and the PSAT. What for? We're going to practice that test. What are you going to do? Give them what they want. I'm not trying to impress anybody. What do you want? I want you to answer those questions. Well, look, they got a book in the bookstore, questions, the 2,500 words they have on the vocab test for the SAT. It's in a book. Well, any word that's on there came out of this book. Then we might want to read that book once a year. So all my kids had read that book six times before they took the test. Well, you know, I pretty much know what's going to be on here. So people say, how would you get scholarships? We knocked the top off the SAT and ACT test. My senior year, my kid's senior year, they took it five times, $39.95 a pop. Kept retaking. Now, Sarah, my, she was my smartest. Sarah, by the way, my oldest daughter, is a college professor today, straight-A student. Doesn't mean she kept her room clean and told the truth. Has nothing to do with character whatsoever. You've got to separate these things now, parents. You know, we got to do it. Well, she was horrible in algebra. She flunked it two years in a row. I said, babe, don't you ever become an engineer. If you ever build a bridge, you put your name on the end of that bridge because I'm not driving across it because you stink at math. <laughs> Everybody's gift's different. We're all gifted different. We'll get into this after lunch. Everybody's gifted different. Where's your gift? My strength is to cover your weakness, not make fun of your weakness. My gift is to help you where you're not good. Your gift is to help me where I'm not good. Members of the body of Christ join together. Husband and wife join together. Family, not mock, not make fun. Cover each other's weakness. Your strength is what you're going to get a job with. Nobody's going to hire you for what you're bad at. They're going to hire you for what you're good at. You're going to make room for you, bring you before kings, make you wealthy, the Bible says. Well, what's your gift? If you don't know, you'll just give a sad story the rest of your life. Nobody ever hired me. I never had a good job. Well, you don't know what you're good at. Has anybody ever told you what you're good at? The devil starts the minute you're born. He'll use your parents. Boy, you're stupid. You sting. You're not going to mount the hell of beans. You're dumb as dirt. You know, the words from hell. Why? Because you are what you think about. Now, if all you heard you're dumb and stupid... That's why we have, the, listen, the United States of America has a 33% dropout rate. The richest, most educated Christian nation in the world has one of the highest dropout rates. Why would you drop out? Well, school stinks. School stinks. Who told you that? Somebody tell you, you, you don't, school doesn't stink. You must stink at school. Well, how do you get good at school? We're going to have to work this thing. You've got to work the system. This is in your social club. Because you know how this is school. Straight-A students, they got classrooms, and they got organizations, and name badges, and they get to go places. If you're a great athlete, you're somebody. You get to be somebody. If you're not an athlete, you're a nobody. You're an idiot. You're at the back of the bus. No. I, listen, I got interviewed by people that didn't play sports, nor could they sing. I went for a job interview. He had, he had thick glasses in school. He had thick glasses, and I had to interview with him. All kinds of pencils hanging out of his pocket. We made fun of him when he was in school, and now I'm having to get a job from him. God's got a great sense of humor. So all of a sudden, I'm beginning to realize we've got to find out what we're good at, what we're going to do. Because if we don't, again, I go back to the marriage thing. If I'm, When I married Denise, I didn't know anything. What are you good at? Nothing. 
I'm good at football, I'm good at wrestling, I'm good at baseball. Yeah, but you're not in baseball or football anymore, so what gets you honored? Her, I married a good-looking woman. Look who I married. And so I'd show her off like a trophy. Well, I get to realize when I'm not showing her off, she's yelling at me because I'm not doing my job as a husband. I'm not loving her, I'm not leading, I'm not providing. I didn't know that, though. My people destroyed for lack of knowledge. It was the Word of God that saved us. What is it? I need to start being who I'm called to be. So once we start learning, you get a choice. If you start reading in Jude, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Matthew 24, Luke 17, the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, heady, high-minded, truth-breakers, unthankful, unholy, without natural effects. It's a lot of bad stuff. And that's where the world's... There are six 24-hour news channels today reporting about the hell that's going on. Most people get up watching the news, they go to bed watching the news. It's the last thing they think, my God, it's bad. My God, what do you... I watch the news once a day, once a day. I read the paper once a day. Why? I know what's going on. I know what to pray about. But I don't feed on it. I'm going to feed on the Word of God. Otherwise, I'm going to be that. I don't want to watch news. I don't want to be on the news. And so all of a sudden, we begin to realize something. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to have to learn who we are. So we go back. I'm a man. I'm a lovely provider. I'm a child of God. What do you know? I'm on planet Earth, God. What are you doing? Well, I got armor, Ephesians chapter 6. What kind? Well, I got shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Why? Here's the devil. There's five levels of demons, Ephesians chapter 6. Daniel chapter 10, you know, the prophet Daniel's praying. He's realized, hey, we're supposed to go home. We've been here for 70 years. God said we would go home after 70 years. So he, he's reading the word. We're supposed to go home. How come we're not home? How come I'm a slave in a foreign country? We're supposed to go home wealthy and healthy. How come we're not going home? This says we're supposed to go home. This says I'm supposed to be blessed, supposed to be happy. How come I'm not? Because there's opposition. So Daniel starts praying. God, you said we go home. How come I'm not going home? Three weeks he's praying and fasting, praying and fasting. Your pastor teaches this real good. All of a sudden the angel shows up. Hello. <laughs> he said, we heard your prayer the first day you prayed it three weeks ago. Really? Three weeks ago you heard it? I've been praying for three weeks. Where you been? Man, my stomach's growling. I got bad breath. My armpits stink. I've been fasting and praying. Where you been? He said, well, the spirit prince of Persia, because they're in Babylon, held me up. Uh, the day we heard it, I'm coming with the answer, and a demonic power wrestled me, and I've been wrestling for three weeks up there. Well, I thought angels were powerful. We are, but demons are also powerful. For three weeks, but thank goodness you kept praying. Finally, Michael, the archangel, came and put his demon in the headlock and loosed me to come bring the answer. Now, I'm not making that up, Daniel chapter 10. Now, what you realize is, what if he'd stop praying? I tell you, I prayed nothing happened. Well, I prayed nothing. You didn't pray long enough. You didn't believe what it said. If it said it, it's true. What if it's not true? God will tell me. I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd. I'll hear his voice. If I'm not supposed to pray, he'll tell me. Otherwise, I'm going after. We're going after. Great marriage. Godly seed. Going to be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in our house. Because like I said, people say, how would you kids get all these good jobs? They worked hard. Got laid off. They got rolled back. Had bosses that wouldn't give them a raise. We're going to do. Believe God for favor. Psalms 5:12. God's going to surround you with shield of divine favor. Jess was going to quit. She came home one day and said, I'm going to quit. I hate this job. They promised me a raise two years ago, and they've not given me nothing. They promised me. So what are you going to do? I'm quitting. I'm going to get me a better job. Really, that's, that's good, baby. That'd make me mad. Now, where is it you're going to go get this better job? What? Yeah, I know they've not treated you right, man. Economy's down. They can't give raises, and you're not selling anything. So I just take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. It's a, it's a spiritual song. came on the radio years ago. So where are you going now if you're not going to work there? Where is the job that's giving raises? Where is it? Because I'm going to go with you. I'm going to have all the other kids come with you. We're all going to get a job there. <laughs> now, this, this is not where we're at. 
So you're looking for something that's already in here. Where are you going? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're looking, it's already in you. Are you praying for your company? I heard you gripe about your boss a lot. I've heard you gripe about your company for not getting your raise. I thought we're to pray for those in authority. Have you prayed for your company? Have you prayed for your boss? Maybe you ought to start there because there's no other better place. You blossom where you planted. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but she started praying. And sure enough, guys, it was incredible. Six months later, uh, she got her back pay. Uh, nine months later, she got a raise. A year later, she got a big raise. And she works for me today because I finally hired her. After they gave her all that money back and paid her real good, I hired her. I'm not making that up because she's real smart. So she she runs my stuff now. But I said, until you decide to do something yourself, the devil's going to keep you sidetracked looking somewhere. Well, they got lucky. They married a nice person. There are no nice people. They married flesh. Flesh goes stupid on a regular basis. Well, I see them all the time. They seem happy. You don't go with them 24 hours a day. You don't know what kind of hell they've been through. Everybody deals with hell. Tests and trials come to everybody. You got to make your mind up. I'm going to find out what this book says. Who I am when I was. What are you going to do? I'm going to marry me a good thing. I'm going to build me a great life. I'm going to finish strong. I want to hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." So, what's going to happen? Step up. Well, I'm going to fix. It. I'm here passing. We're laughing about cars. You know, <laughs> about two weeks ago. You know, my daughter's coming back, moving back in Carolina. Her husband's going to finish his degree and got the car. And she said, "Dad, if you can drive it back for me, I appreciate I'm driving it back. It's a great little car." And all of a sudden, it got down to a quarter of a tank and ran out of gas. I thought, oh, something's wrong. So I had to walk down the interstate to get gas. And I had to buy the can to put the gas in because he wouldn't give me borrow one. I had to buy it. So and it's hot. And I'm thinking, man, what is it? So I finally get a hold of the phone. Hey, baby, man, something happened to your car. I'm going to have to get in the shop. What happened? It ran out of gas. Oh, I forgot to tell you. A quarter of a tank, it's out of gas. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, you know, the time I got that, and I'm heading back to Chattanooga, the car to drive on to Tulsa, and it gets late, and I turn the lights on, and it's like a laser light show. They're just flickering. Just, you know, people are flicking their lights at me. I'm not flickering. They won't stay steady. I'm trying to see. And so I go, baby, there's something wrong with your lights. Oh, I meant to tell you, we hit a black bear about a month ago, and it didn't put a dent, but it didn't jam that bottom bumper, and the electrical system's all messed up. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I'll fix that too. We're going to fix that gas tank and fix those lights. That's what I do. I'm a father, and I know you're married, and I gave you away and paid for your wedding and paid for your college. Now I figure you pay for yourself, but evidently, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I'm Santa Claus. Stuck upside down your chimney. Because my wife says, we're going to have to fix it, Joe. I said, all right. Well, I thought I was fixing myself. You know, I'm getting toward retirement. I'm thinking about me. No, you're thinking about everybody else. We're going to be a blessing. The minute you start pulling back, you're done. God says, I take no pleasure in those that draw back. They're going to impress him. So let's stand up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. You've been very patient. We come back, we're going to talk about four reasons. And this, and I'm going to give a negative statement of a positive thing. Top four reasons Christians give for getting divorced. Here they are. Number one, communication. <laughs> What's the number one reason? You look it up in Google it. We'll look it up. Number one reason for divorce? Communication. Okay. Incompatibility. They call it. Well, what the deal is communication? Two ears, one mouth. It's a math thing. Two ears, one mouth. You listen twice as much as you talk. All divorces start with words. All affairs start with words. All wars start with words. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Until you get those scriptures in you about the mouth, you're going to have hell in your life. Life and death in the power of the tongue. You're going to have to shut hell off to start with and start saying what God says about you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Second reason for divorce is money because we see money different. I see money as freedom. My wife sees money as security. We don't think the same about money. Sold a piece of land one time, working three minimum wage jobs, and I had a piece of land I've been trying to sell. We're going to Bible school. 
Got a $10,000 check. Never seen a check this big in my life. We're living in a little nasty rent house. Got holes in the carpet. You know, we're barely getting a gallon of milk a week. $10,000. Now, we have been looking at a bass boat every Sunday after church. Because, you know, some people could go to the lake, you know, and actually get on it, not stand on the shore and throw rocks in it. So I've been believing God for a boat. I'm going to get a bass boat. Take the kids skiing and fishing. That's a use, but it's a good one. So we've been looking every Sunday. You know, $10,000 bass boat. I was going to get this check, and we're jumping up down, taking Jesus. And I just had two kids at the time. I said, all right, get in the truck. Here we go. We're going. And he says, go, where are we going? We're going to get that bass boat, man. been believing God for seven months. That bass boat. We got us a boat. We're going to the lake. And Denise says, wait a second. We're not wasting $10,000 on the bass boat. No, oh, babe, we've been agreeing. Matthew 18, 19, agreed. We touched the boat and on it with oil. That's our boat, $10,000. Here it is. No, Joe, we're not doing that. We're going to put braces on two kids' teeth. Why? We're going to put braces on their teeth. I'm not wasting $10,000 on somebody's mouth. Get up, get a job, fix your own teeth. Nobody fix mine. She brought Jessica over. She said, come here, my second daughter, who works for me and runs my ministry today. Here, smile for you, daddy. If you don't want her living though she's 35, you better fix that mouth because nobody's going to marry that mouth. I never did get a bass boat. So we're going to talk about money, how you get in agreement on that. Third thing is about children because big disagreement on how to raise kids. I love kids. I love all six of mine. They're not perfect because they didn't have perfect parents. But, boy, they're good ones. We got six real good ones, and I'm just real thankful and blessed. But there's a thing you do. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. There's four areas you've got to concentrate on. You launch them. You don't get them. You launch them. They come as raw material. They can't wipe themselves, bathe themselves, feed themselves. You do everything, and then you launch them. We'll talk about that. Then the fourth reason for a divorce, number four, for Christians getting divorced, is problems in the bedroom. We are the most sexually ignorant people I have ever dealt with in my life. I have heard stuff in councils like, you know, they write books on that, you know. <laughs> It's just like you don't even know what an orgasm is. Like, do you know that God invented that? It was his idea. Because if it didn't feel good, nobody would do it. We'd just die. Well, dear God, it's Saturday. I guess we got to do it. <laughs> you see how quiet it got right here even in church? You talk about second like, Can he say that? <laughs> you know, we are the most. I've taught to. I only deal with Christians like, God, do you understand what all those parts are for and where they go and what they do? I said, you know, a male sexual organ is like a fountain. It says so in Proverbs 5. Fountain's under pressure all the time. You don't have to do anything to it. It's ready. You want to do it? Yeah. Right now. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Men don't need a shower or bath. They don't need to shave or clean up. I'm ready. <laughs> a woman's sexual organ is a well. Now, we had a well for the first seven years of our life from growing up in Ducktown, Tennessee. Now, you never went to the well, number one, until you were thirsty because it's on the hill. It's not convenient. There's no spigot. The well, and there's a bucket in the well house. So, and you'd always send the use of the kids. Go, we need, we're out of water. We get water. Great. Already thirsty. You get the bucket and you walk up. Where's the well? Up on the hill. So you're walking and sweating and you're walking and sweating and you're sweating and you're walking and you're walking and sweating. Then you hook the bucket up and you crank it down and you crank it down and you crank it down and you're sweating and you're cranking and you're cranking and you're sweating. Then you fill it up. Now, you're really cranking and sweating and sweating and cranking. You still don't have a drink of water. And if I have to explain that to you, talk to me after lunch, and I'll explain that to you. <laughs> a female sex organ is well. Remember, no, I didn't. you didn't do nothing. You doofus, bless your ignorant heart. You just, we're going to have to teach about this. So we're going to cover that when we come back from lunch. So bay heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, people who could have done a hundred things today have chosen to come feed on your word. So, Father, I pray, may the Holy Ghost 
bring to our remembrance what we're learning today, that we are as men, lovers, leaders, providers. As when we are helpmeets and managers and lovers, Father, we're going to do what you called and gifted us to do, and may our marriages, I don't care what we've been through, I don't care what's happened in the past, our past is under the blood, we're not going back there, your mercy's brand new in the morning, we're going forward, but Father, may our lives be the kind of lives to make other people ask us about the hope that's in us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Pastor.